Well, hey, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia channel. And this is our special open spoiler discussion about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, my favorite film of the year. Uh, I have been kind of tied as to what my favorite film of the year has been so far, whether it was Joyride or Flash. Both of them are fantastic. But Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, is my favorite film of the year now and i am so incredibly overjoyed by it and uh, this film better get a best picture nomination at the academy awards I, I mean if there are legitimately i said this before if there are legitimately 10 other films that are better than spider verses this year this will be the greatest year in cinematic history i mean if we literally get 10 other films that are better than spider verse then it's going to be the greatest year in movie history because this movie, I'm not saying it should win. I'm just saying it better get nominated for best picture. Um, and in case the title of this little video does not give it away, we are here to talk about Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse in a full open spoilery way. So if you've not seen uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse yet, um, then you might want to just add this video, click on, make it one of your favorites, come back to it a little bit later. Or if you don't care about hearing about the spoilers, that's all fine. Stick around. So that is what we are going to do. Now I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes talking about my kind of thoughts, some of the problems I had with the film, even though it's my favorite film of the year, a couple of problems I had with the film, stuff like that. Then we're just going to spend our time taking your questions. If you guys have a question, thought, comment, or observation about the movie, I do still have the super chats open, but you guys have already, this is going to be a three hour video minimum. Uh, you guys have already kind of filled them up a lot. So I am going to turn off the super chats in just a few minutes. So if you've got a thought theory, opinion or whatever, go ahead and, and fire it in. I will leave the super chats open for a couple more minutes, but then I got to turn them off because there are already a lot of them in there. Uh, and I don't want to be here all Sunday. I do want to watch the basketball game at some point anyway. Um, let me talk, before we get to the great stuff, let me talk first about my two problems with the film, okay? Here are my two exclusive problems with the film. I mean, there are a number of things in the movie that aren't perfect. I'm just saying these are the two things that really stand out to me that I, that I would say this is a problem. Um, one of them is <laughs> there are a few moments in the film where it felt like it, 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 I felt the length of the film in a few points. I do think that at two hours and 20 minutes is what I think this movie came in at. I think if they just shaved a, a, a quick 10 minutes out, I think a quick 10 minutes, 30 seconds here, one minute out of this scene, 20 seconds out of this scene, I, I just feel it would have been even tighter. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't feel like the movie dragged. I'm just saying in a few spots here and there, I could feel the length of it a little bit. And I think it could have been, um, I think it could have been edited down to an even slicker, uh, better paced package. So uh, that's the one problem I have is that my bigger problem is the sound mix in certain sections of the film. Um, I remember thinking it was just my theater. I was in when I, the first time I watched Spider-Verse, I thought it was just my theater that I was in when the movie begins and we, it starts with Gwen and we are hearing, I could barely hear what Gwen was saying. Like I was like straining to hear what her saying. Like the mix was all off. Like the sound effects and the music were definitely leveled higher than the dialogue in a number of scenes in the movie. I mean, it wasn't as bad as Christopher Nolan's audio mixing, but um, it was pretty noticeable. Now I've had people telling me 
that they experienced the same thing. I, I thought it was just my theater, but I've been hearing from a lot of people that they experienced the same audio mix problems, but they were mostly coming from Dolby cinemas that maybe the Atmos mix wasn't done properly because I've heard from other people that uh, that were watching it in either IMAX or non-Dolby theaters uh, that the sound mix was fine. So it might have just been any theater that uses the Atmos sound system. And there are a number of theaters that use that use Atmos. It might have just been that the Atmos sound system has a bad mix. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's... I heard the IMAX mix was good. I heard some of the regular movie theater mix was good. Um, but for me, uh, you know, my experience with it was in a Dolby Cinema with Atmos. And the audio mix was a little, not through the whole movie, but the audio mix was off a little bit. Okay, that aside, those are my nitpicks. What a brilliant movie. I didn't think they could top Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I really didn't. I didn't think they could do it. I admit it. I, I did not believe they could make a sequel that was better than the first one. Didn't think it was possible. And they did it. They built on the narratives and mythology that they established in the first one. They made them deeper and richer. And then they explored new branches of it. They used cameos that fit in narratively and weren't just stupid. Look, everybody, remember him? I mean, they they actually fit into the narrative and story they were telling. I mean, come on. Childish Gambino as a live action universe's prowler. The animated Spider-Man, the original animated Spider-Man. The, I mean, it was just, it was so great. The Lego, of course, it's a Lord and Miller film. Of course they were going to have a Lego world, but they didn't just do them as stupid little things. They made them fit into the story and actually play, even if it's just a tiny little spot here and there, they played a part in the narrative flow of the story. That is the best way. That's using cameos and using Easter eggs. That's the right way to use them. A lot of movies just throw them in there for no purpose. Say, oh, look, it's that guy. Why was he there? Who knows? But look, it's that guy, right? This movie used them the right way. And I, and I absolutely... Loved it. I was really surprised that none of the key characters died. Like I thought for sure the dad was going to die or the mom was going to die or Stacy's dad was like one of these key characters I thought were going to die. And uh, I'm pretty happy that they didn't. I thought they would be. And yet it was still heavy. And oh my God, the reveal of the miles in the other reality that was supposed to get the spider bite ends up being Prowler in that universe. What, and by the way, I thought he looked awesome. I thought Prowler Miles looked... Fr- and I even like the way he said his own name. I'm Miles Morales. And just the way he said it. I thought, oh, you are so cool. Like, I know you're a bad guy and you're probably evil, but I want to hang out with that Miles for some reason. Look at the way he rocks that hair. I I really, really loved that. Um, I, I loved that about, uh, about that. I, I just love the Miles reveal. I just thought it was great. I thought his design was cool. I even like the way his, his speech pattern was a little bit different. I just, uh, I, I loved it. I, I just, I loved this movie. And then when um, the uncle showed up, like your heart, I mean, with that moment that you realize that Miles wasn't in his own universe and he's talking to his mom, he says, who's Spider-Man? It's like, wait a minute. Are we supposed to believe that Miles's mom hasn't heard of Spider-Man? What? But then it made sense. That was a great little plot twist. I love seeing Ben Riley. 
because I am one of the only people in the world that actually likes the clone saga in the Spider-Man comics. I've talked about this for a long time. Like, I understand it. You talk about Spider-Man comics, every little Spider-Man comics, well, except for the clone saga. I don't care. I like the clone saga, okay? I liked it. And I love seeing Ben Riley. <laughs> I love seeing Ben Riley pop up in there. Ah, oh, I love this movie so much. And listen, I could sit here and talk all day about my feelings on this movie, but we are here to talk about your feelings on this movie. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into it. Now, like I said, do forgive me if I go through the questions quickly. We do have a hell of a lot of them. I'm, I'm thinking this is probably going to be a probably a three-hour stream. Maybe I can get through it faster than that, but um, let's see what we can do. Okay, let's get to it here, guys. Um, we're going to start off with The Empire Strikes Backstreet, who writes, I saw this in Dolby Cinema at AMC Theaters, and I couldn't hear the dialogue. I'm in the same boat, dude. And I couldn't hear the dialogue from the sound mixing. Saw it in IMAX for a second time, and a standard... For a third time, the dialogue was perfectly clear. That's what I've been hearing. I've been hearing that because my experience with it has been in a Dolby cinema. The AMC Primes are, are Dolby cinemas that use Dolby Atmos. Other the there are other theaters that use Dolby and Dolby Atmos as well. And, and it sounds like to me, again, that the issue might have been the audio mix for the Atmos sound system. That might be the issue here. So uh, I have not seen it on a non... Um, on a non AMC prime Dolby screen yet. So maybe once I do, I'll notice that difference, but thanks for sharing your experience umpire. Okay. Next up our friend King Tantic writes, uh, I keep going back and forth on if I prefer this or the first one, either way, my favorite film of the year so far, uh, top three comic book movie with the first one in the dark night. I, I, I got to tell you King Tantic, I'm in the same kind of boat. Like I'm not, I always like to stop myself from making grand proclamations about movies I just saw. Like, best performance I've ever seen that actor give. Best movie I've ever seen in this genre. Worst movie I've ever... Like, I like to give myself a little bit of time, but I'll tell you what, I came out of that theater wondering, is this the best comic book movie ever made? And I'm not, I'm not going to say that. And maybe it won't end up in my number one spot. It's definitely going to be in my top five. I mean, I know for sure it's going to be in my top five, maybe in my number one. I mean, I don't know. I need more time to process. Give me a give me a few weeks to do that. But yeah, man, what an experience. What an absolute experience that movie was. All right. Sean Stewart writes one of two better than the first one. Saw one shot of main villain in the last act and it didn't hurt the film at all. Best part of the movie for me was Gwen. Um, well, that should part one. Oh, there it is. Uh, Gwen had such a great arc from cool opening, but deep forced to leave by her dad. And she accepted he would die brought bought into the game. I, I get, listen, I'm telling you when that moment you realize in the movie, yeah, that Gwen knows her dad's supposed to die and she's accepted it. And I love that they called them canon events because that's what we as fans call. Well, that's canon that that happened. And that's canon. I love that they use that terminology canon event. Gwen was great. Here's what I would say though. Um, Prowler Miles isn't the bad guy of the film. This film, other than Spot, but this movie is really more of a setup for Spot. The main antagonist of this film is Miguel. Uh, Spider-Man 29.9. He's actually the main antagonist of this film. And remember, not all antagonists are villains, Right? You can have a movie with two essential good guys, but if our main hero is this one, 
then this one's working against one. Even if they're both kind of good guys, this one is technically the antagonist, the one who stands opposed to our hero. And not all antagonists, not even all great antagonists are necessarily bad guys. But yeah, like I don't think we saw the bad guy or the antagonist in the last shot because I don't think the antagonist of this movie was Prowler Miles. The antagonist of this movie, I, I think, was Miguel. And Miguel was awesome. Like, absolutely awesome. Loved it. All right. Uh, let's see. Contantic writes in again. I've also seen it every day this weekend. <laughs> Today is number four. Nice. Uh, I'm going to go see it once or twice more this week. Uh, I'm unfortunately going to have to see it without Anne. I drove my wife to the airport this morning. She's vice president of this big international company. And she had to fly out to the East Coast this week. She's going to be on the East Coast all week. <sighs> I don't do well when Anne's not around for a few days. I get really grumpy. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm fine right now. Cause I just dropped her off at the airport a few hours ago, but probably by Tuesday, it's going to be grumpy. John, I don't, I don't do well when I'm not <laughs> with my wife for when I have to be without my wife for a prolonged, prolonged period of time. Um, but, but anyway, so I'm probably have to see once twice without her. And then I'm the only day I'm not going to see Spider-Verse though, is definitely Wednesday. Cause Wednesday I'm going to go see Transformers. So I'm kind of looking forward to that, but uh, good on you content. I've seen it that many times. All right. Next up storm trader uh, writes, give me a second guys. I'm, ha I'm having to turn off the super chats now uh, just cause we've gotten, we got way too much. I mean, that's a good problem to have, but I don't want this to be a five hour stream. Uh, so I just had to turn off the super chat. So let's get, keep going here. Storm Trader writes, hey, John, loved this film. Never expected to be blown away, but this sequel surpassed my expectations. I'm right there with you, man. Uh, the Donald Glover cameo got a big reaction from me, and what a dark ending. You could totally tell the difference in the theater between the people who remember that Donald Glover made that quick cameo appearance in the live-action Spider-Man movie saying, yeah, I got a nephew that lives around here. Right. And a lot of people forget about that. So you could tell by the people in the audience who remember that I was like, oh, and then you heard some people going, well, wait, why is Donald Glover in there? But whatever. It was a terrific cameo, uh, very dark ending, but uh, but one that left you. I'm telling you what I'm telling you what the moment the camera panned back. All right. And Gwen's standing there and then the camera pans back. And you realize she went and got Spider-Ham. She went and got Spider-Man Noir. She went and got, I mean, then a couple of the other friends there. And she regathered the team from the first film. I'm like, ah! like, because the one thing I was kind of bummed out about going into this movie was, oh man, I want, I want John Mulaney's Spider-Ham and I want Nick Cage's Spider-Man Noir. And I want, I wanted to see those guys back together again, but okay, they're not. That's fine. That's fine. And so then the movie ends saying that that's going to be the team going into the third film made me, I'll tell you what, my friends, it made me very happy. Made me very happy. And I, my heart, even though I saw it in the trailer, I think my favorite character in this Spider-Verse movie franchise is Peter B. Parker. I I love this character. I love this Peter. And he's sitting there when when he puts the little Spider-Man knitted hoodie over her eyes and the baby's got the little Spider-Man toque. Come on. I love that character. And you can tell he's kind of like the prime Spider-Man. He's the only one just go up to Miguel. He's the one like whatever. But I, he, yeah, yeah. CJ Ribber, don't tell mom. Did you take our baby to a fight? 
no, you told me never to do that. I would never do. Oh my God. Anna's talking to me. She goes, that's totally going to be you. I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about, baby. I have no idea what you're talking about. God, I love that character so much. And he's always walking around in the fluffy slippers and the bathrobe. I love that character so much. I don't care what anybody says. All right, Storm Trader also writes, I love the color palette in Gwen's world. So striking and beautiful. Every single world or reality had its own slightly unique look. I mean, every frame of this movie is art. You literally could take any, stop the movie at any moment. You could screen capture it put it on your wall. It's absolutely gorgeous. And to think that before Into the Spider-Verse came out and I just saw the trailers for the first movie, and I'm like, I don't like the animation style. Well, now I freaking love it. And I was shitting on it before the first movie came. Yeah, that looks dumb. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and now I'm like, oh my God, this is gorgeous. It's so freaking gorgeous. All right. Um, Next up, Empire Strikes Backstreet writes, uh, so happy to see a bit of Andrew Garfield and Spectacular Spider-Man again. The overall film is a better love letter for Spider-Man fans than No Way Home. Um, I mean, this is a better movie than No Way Home. I mean, in, in almost every regard, better dialogue, better plot, better story flow. It's it's a And I, I really like No Way Home. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of Spider-Man No Way Home. This is a better movie. This is a better movie. Sony has now made the three best Spider-Man movies, all better than any Spider-Man movie uh, Marvel has made. Between Into the Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse, and Sam Raimi's brilliant Spider-Man 2, Sony's made the three best Spider-Man movies. They've also made a couple of the worst, but they made the three best. Um, and, But I don't know. I mean, No Way Home was really a love letter to the Spider-Man fans. Um. At least Spider-Man on the screen fans, right? I'll just I'll make a distinction that way. I think Spider-Man No Way Home was a better love letter to the on-the-screen Spider-Man fans. Maybe into the or across the Spider-Verse was a little bit more of a love letter to like Spider-Man across multiple mediums and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, I, I think Across the Spider-Verse is the better film, but don't take away just how powerful of a love letter I think that that No Way Home movie was. All right, Storm Trader writes. Do not mess with Miguel O'Hara. Oscar Isaac crushed it. And uh, shout out to Spider-Man India. Hilarious uh, character. I hope more Lego Spider-Man. You know what I found out? Tell me if I'm wrong in the live chat, guys. I'm like, why do I know that voice? Why do I know that voice? I thought, is that Dopinder from Deadpool? And somebody told me that, yep, it's Dopinder from Deadpool. So you guys can correct me if in the live chat if I'm wrong. But I think the the voice of yeah CJ Ruiz saying yeah it was Dopinder yeah I'm like I think that's Dopinder and it so was I love Spider Man India when he's talking about his hair and all that kind of stuff that Spider Man was so good I love that and the cop like the the cop whose life uh, Miles saves that he wasn't supposed to save was so and the daughter's like I've never seen him so emotional I cracked up. I absolutely cracked up. I thought that was great. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, we did that one from Sean. Jake Camara writes, I could watch this movie, make a baby, and it'll still be born before they give us the other half of this story. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. But most, listen, most movies that have sequels, you, you'll, you'd be really lucky to get it in anything less than two years. And we're getting the sequel to this, from what I understand, in 2024. So, uh, yeah, I mean, but, but it's not terribly long, but yes, you could, uh, get together with your special someone tonight, 
create new life and that baby will be born before Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse comes out. So you are you are uh, biologically and mathematically correct by that. All right. Uh, next up, Sean Stewart writes, I was mad at Gwen till she goes home again and realized she was wrong about everything and put together her own band, quite an arc. But I mean, at the same time, here's the thing. And, and this is what makes a great antagonist. Again, Miguel's not the villain, he, but he is an antagonist. Is You see where he's coming from. Like Miguel is trying to save worlds, right? So before anybody poo-poos on Miguel, remember he thought, like Miles did, that I could have both, right? And the result of that was an entire world was destroyed because he wanted something that was not the grand design of that world. And I'll tell you what, no moment in this movie broke my heart more than the footage of him running from the apocalypse, holding... I don't know if that was supposed to be his daughter. I think it was supposed to be his baby sister or something. I, I can't remember. But him running, holding that little girl in his arms and watching her evaporate into nothingness. That broke me. That, I, nothing in this movie broke my heart more than that moment in the film. And you realize that Miguel is, he's trying to stop other worlds from being destroyed. And while we cheer for Miles, then of course we want Miles to go back and save his dad. Of course we do. But as we cheer for Miles, we have to remember that Miguel's probably right. I mean, if he really believes that saving that one life will destroy billions of lives... Then, then Miguel is right. But we're cheering for Miles. That's what made this all so great. And so, you know, I don't blame Gwen that Gwen sees the big picture too. Even my favorite, Peter B. Parker's like, you got to see the big picture. Like my Uncle Ben dying. Yeah, if if I could go back in time, maybe I could find a way I could go back in time and save my Uncle Ben. But, But then what happens if I saved my Uncle Ben? So many other people who got saved later would never be saved. And, and again, I just like the fact that it's, it's a cartoon that is not afraid to ask mature, big questions, mature, big questions. So yeah, don't be too mad at Gwen because she was actually thinking really big picture. She was all right. Uh, Spencer Smothers writes, I absolutely love this movie. I find it amazing how a movie with hundreds of Spider-Man variants, uh, the movie was about how lonely being Spider-Man is. That's actually a great observation, uh, Spencer. A movie with thousands of Spider-Men is a real focus on just how lonely it is to be Spider-Man. I, I, that is a great observation, Spencer. I love that. All right, Josh Becker writes, sends in like a $20 super chat. Thank you, Josh, for supporting us on that level. And Josh writes, after watching this five times, you've seen it more than me, buddy, I can confidently say this is one of my favorite films of all time. It really hit me hard, and I love the darker feel of it. Nothing was boring, and I love the new team. Nick Cage is back. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Spider-Man Noir is back. See, and this is the thing. This is a movie that is filled with jokes and humor and some silliness and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, it drives me a little bit insane. Like, too many movie fans, and we're all like this sometimes. I'm like this sometimes. We all are. 
sometimes movie fans drive me nuts that we're very, very small picture, right? Like, man, there's comic book movie fatigue. No, there's not comic book movie fatigue. There's mediocre movie fatigue. Once they start giving us really great superhero movies again, you're going to see people are not tired of these movies. Sure enough, Guardians 3 has already made over $700 million. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse just shattered the projections, made $120 million. Guys, that's over triple the opening weekend of what the first Into the Spider-Verse was. It's insane. That, and just wait till you see the opening weekend for Flash. Opening weekend for Flash is going to make almost as much money as Shazam 2 did in its entire theatrical global run in its opening weekend. Close. I mean, it won't beat it, but it'll get close in one weekend. See, when you give us good comic book movies, there is no comic book movie fatigue. People are not. But we, as movie fans, we often think small picture. So people see a movie that they didn't really like and it had a lot of jokes. Then they go, well, the problem was it had too many jokes. And I always say that is never the problem. If the movie's great... The jokes are fine. Take Thor Ragnarok. If Thor Ragnarok was a bad movie, and it's great, Thor Ragnarok's great. If Thor Ragnarok was a bad movie, you would hear everybody complaining about how much humor and jokes was in it. But the movie was great. And therefore, the humor and jokes, even though it's loaded with them. But see, the thing about Thor Ragnarok, and I compare it to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse in this way. Thor Ragnarok is actually, other than like the end of Infinity War, Thor Ragnarok is actually the darkest of all MCU movies. I mean, look at the, the monumental events that happened in Thor Ragnarok. The death of Thor's sister, the betrayal of family, the death of Odin, the destruction of Asgard, the destruction of Mjolnir, the loss of Thor's eye. I mean, like all like the huge monumentally dark, dark things. And it's balancing out the humor and the jokes that are delightful with heavier themes or whatever. And when you find that balance, you get something really special. Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse is a movie that finds such balance because it is loaded with jokes and humor. There's a lot of yuck, yuck in this movie, but because it's balanced out with a brilliant theme, a well-constructed narrative, and darker ideas as well, it balances out into this nearly perfect movie-going experience. It's amazing. And, um, yeah, it just, that, that's why it worked for me. Anyway, thanks a lot for that, Josh. Uh, Josh Becker also writes, also, it's crazy how a bagel influences movies villain. And it was a main part of everything everywhere all at once from last year. You know, what's, that's the thing. You know what I really like about it? There are no inconsequential actions. I love movies that have that theme that nothing is inconsequential. Because really the whole impetus of this movie is the fact that at some scene, an apparently inconsequential scene of Spider-Man or of Miles and Peter B. Parker, the two Spider-Men getting out of that lab and going through that cafeteria and hitting one guy with a bagel. There were consequences. There were consequences of that. You know what? It's actually one of the reasons why I love last of us part two. I love the themes in last of us part two. And, and by the way, I'm about to say a big spoiler for Last of Us and in case you didn't know, at, at any rate. So, because in these video games, we just go around all the time, all of us as players, we go around just killing all these people, right? In all these games, right? And we never give it a second thought. Oh, there's a guard sneaking around the corner, bang, bang. We don't, we forget. That guard has friends, family, parents, maybe brothers or sisters, maybe children of their own. 
They've had lives that they touched and are interconnected with theirs. And Clint Eastwood said the immortal line in Unforgiven, it's a hell of a man killing a thing. You take away everything he's got and everything he's ever going to have. It's a great line. If you haven't seen Unforgiven, greatest Western of all time. But I love that so such a big part of this movie was built on what we would perceive as an inconsequential thing from another movie. And I loved that about this. It's just one of those little things that I really, really adored that they did that narratively a choice they made in this movie. Anyway, Josh also writes, I would definitely nominate this for many Oscars, animated film, pec picture score, cinematography, and even editing. I'll tell you what right now. I mean, obviously we are a long way from getting the full list of Oscar nominee or potential Oscar candidates, but best animated film is a foregone conclusion at this point. You may just, just put spider versus name on the trophy. Now there's not going to be a better animated film this year. Um, best picture. It should be nominated for best editing. It should be nominated for maybe best score. It was a very, very good score, but I, I maybe score. Um, oh man, there's just, the movie's just so good, Josh. <laughs> All right. Next up, Josh also writes, Beyond the Spider-Verse has a chance to have a lot of hype moments, but Miles also has three people to fight, Prowler, Spot, and Miguel. Oh, you mean, oh yeah, Beyond the Spider-Verse. Yeah, and you know what's going to happen, right? Like, you know what's going to happen in Beyond. Um, Miguel and Miles are going to start fighting side by side. You're going to get a bit of Batman versus Superman in there, right? So we, we know that's going to happen. That's fine. I have a feeling that our Miles will redeem the other universe's miles. Maybe we'll see, but maybe the death of dark miles, father really put him down a bad path. I mean, I don't know, but ultimately spot is going to become the big villain of the, of the third film. So it's there. They got a lot to, they got a lot to wrap up in the, uh, in the third film, a lot to wrap up. All right. Next up, Johnny Weiner writes, I love this movie, but I wouldn't go so far as saying masterpiece. I would. Uh, first one is my favorite, but I have a hard time debating whether some of the live action movies, sorry, some of the live action movies or this is better. I love that Danny Glover cameo. Yeah, I mean, listen, the only thing that's really important is not whether or not you like the film as much as other people. The only thing that matters when you go into this film is do you like it? Did you have a good time? Like to me, I see too many film fans arguing with each other about, well, is this one the number five best all-time film or the number eight best time all-time? Well, who cares? The important thing is you like the movie. When I go into a movie, I don't go in there ever thinking, this better be the greatest thing of all time. I don't go into a crime movie thinking, this better be as good as The Godfather. I just go, I just want to have a good time. I just want to like it. And yes, my expectations were high for Across the Spider-Verse. They were, but I leave those expectations at the door, go in, and I just want to come out going, you know what? I had a good time. Whether it's in the top five best comic book movies, top 10, top 20, it, it, that, that doesn't really matter. All that really matters is, did you have fun? Did you enjoy the movie or did you not? Uh, once you get into the minutia of, okay, you liked it. Well, now how much did you like it? That's, that's fine. And we can have those discussions and that's fun, but... The main big thing is, did you have a good time? And I, and that's why, you know, when I saw the film and I was talking to people, like I talked to people about The Flash, right? I tell people very clearly, look, you may not like it as much as I did because I love Flash. Like I cannot wait for you guys to see Flash. I love it. 
Not as much as Across the Spider-Verse, but I love this movie. But one of the things I've said on the podcast, I said, now look, you may not like it as much as I did, but I feel very confident that you're going to like it, right? You may not like it as much as me. You may like it more than me, but I feel very confident you're going to like it. And not everybody will because all film is subjective. But um, yeah, and that Danny Glover cameo was was pretty amazing, man. It was pretty amazing. All right, next up, Johnny Weiner also writes, uh, by the way, how come when you go to another universe, you glitch, but in No Way Home, when they enter MCU universe, they don't glitch? I mean, everyone's all connected. No, they're not. They're, they're, they're not. Like, we can think all the world, they're all connected, blah, blah. No, they're not. No, they're not. The Marvel Universe is the Marvel Universe. The Sony Universe is the Sony Universe. But John Andrew Garfield and, and Tobey Maguire came into it. That's thus establishing that it's all canon. No, it's not. It, it, as far as the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, is concerned, it's just that all everything out there, there's infinite possibilities and in infinite universe. And oh, maybe one of them just happens to be really similar to something you saw in another movie. But it's not really canon. Don't try to evaluate what happens with Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies by rules established in a Sony Pictures uh, animated thing? They are they are not connected. It's it's they would love for it to be connected in our heads, but in reality they're not connected. I mean that's just the thing in reality. So, so don't go. Why do they glitch in this in the animated movie in Sony, but in Disney's movies they don't glitch when they came out because they're not really connected. Because it's not really. It's fun to to pretend they are. It's fun to imagine they are. It's fun to bring in Andrew Garfield and Tom McGuire and say, ooh, in an infinite list of possibilities, these guys came in. But, but don't start evaluating rules in one with rules to the other because clearly they're not. Just some for all of us fans to keep in mind. All right, next up, Gabe Campbell writes, uh, this may be the best comic book movie ever. It takes everything about the film one and makes it better. I agree. But oh my God, that ending was amazing. So perfect to get people to come back for part three. See, you know what they did? They did exactly what they needed to do to end this movie. And I've been saying this for before I saw the movie. If you guys listen to the podcast, you guys know I've been saying this for a while. They need to do what Empire Strikes Back did, right? Empire Strikes Back is the middle part of the story. But they didn't just leave it on a cliffhanger. What they did was they had a part of the story going on, which was the traffic cloud city, uh, Luke finding out who his father was, and then him, Leia, Lando, and Chewie, 3PO and R2, escaping out of cloud city, getting the hyperdrive reactivated and escaping from Darth Vader and rendezvousing with the fleet, right? That was the thing they needed to do. And then once they did it, then they went, Okay, Chewie and Lando, we'll rendezvous with you on Tatooine. Good luck finding Han. So so the, the door is open for the next chapter, yes. But they brought one of the big things to conclusion, the escape from Cloud City. That is what Across the Spider-Verse did. You had this... Um, <laughs> sorry, my, my wife just texted me on the screen. She's all, my wife's out in Pennsylvania right now. And she just, cause we have a Tesla. She just wrote, I guess she's got a rental car. She goes, you would laugh so hard at me right now. If you could see me, I'm trying to relearn how to drive a gas car. Anyway, I'm just trying to picture that in my head now. What were we even talking about? Oh yes. Across the Spider-Verse. So basically you get to the chunk of the movie where Miguel is now in, or it's not, not Miguel, but Miles is in Miguel's movie. Um, Miles is in Miguel's world. 
And he has to find out everything he's going to find out. And now he's got to get away from the Spider-Man. And he's got to get out. And he does it. And then it now ends with Spider-Gwen reassembling the team, saying this, 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 this. And now here's the next chapter, Dark Miguel or Dark Miles. I keep mixing Miguel and Miles up. Dark Miles, right? Okay, so it did what it needed to do. It ended the way it needed to end. Um, it brought a big part of the story to a conclusion while opening up the door for the next one, just like Empire Strikes Back did. So I thought the way they handled the uh, the ending was was really, really great. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Taki 75 writes, I like the first one more. And when the main and, and the main reason is that unlikely infinity war and empire, this movie isn't self-contained. It tells half a story. See, see, I disagree. Empire isn't, this movie is a self-contained story. It just has a bigger opening door at the end of it than say maybe empire did. But again, I just walked through, it followed the same process, Right. Empire starts on Hoth, goes to Dagobah, tells those stories, and then moves on to the main crux of Cloud City and all the events that have to happen there. Across the Spider-Verse follows that same pattern. You start in the real world. We find out what's going on with Gwen. Spot gets introduced. There's the whole family thing, understanding where he's at in his relationship with his parents right now. Then moves on to the main crux. He goes into Miguel's world, finds out all the big things, and ultimately has to escape from it. That's the same pattern as Empire Strikes Back. Except that the open door part at the end of Empire was just them standing with Luke with his arm around Leia looking out into the stars. This one was Miles facing Miles. So there's a little bit more of a cliffhanger part to that. But to me, it was still a very self-contained story with a big open door at the end, much like Empire Strikes Back. But that's just my perspective on that, Taki. All right. Next up, Techie writes, I miss Nick Cage Noir. He was my favorite. Again, I was so happy when we saw that he was coming back for the third one. Uh, Dwayne Fernandez writes, Hey, John, in the next film, do you think Miles will learn to accept the canon event, or do you think Miles will be the one Spider-Man to actually save both his dad and universe since he's the anomaly? I think there are two big possibilities here. Well, three, okay? There's three big possibilities of how Miles can both save his dad and save his world, okay? Way number one. Remember in Spider-Man India's world, right? Miles broke the canon event. But all the other Spider-Men show up with some events that they're trying to close the riff, right? Now, maybe they succeed, maybe they don't. There is a possibility in the third film that they have a breakthrough where they realize we can save canon event victims and through this method, we can prevent the world from being destroyed. So that was introduced in this movie. Maybe that's what they follow through on. The second possibility is Spot. Spot has this ability to transverse universes, right? And it could be that Spot, who is like many classic Spider-Man villains, is not inherently an evil character so much as he's angry, right? Spot, like even when he's fighting Miles in the first part of the movie, like, and, and he's trying, remember in the first part of the movie, he's robbing the store and he's like very apologetic. <laughs> he's like, well, come on, man. I mean, if you think about it, I'm not stealing your money. Like he's, he's not an inherently evil character. He's angry, right? And so there is a possibility that they get, you know, in the third film, 
that much like Doc Ock kind of hits a redemption moment at the end of Spider-Man 2, that we could see Spot becomes the uh, equation. Spot becomes the solution for breaking canon events, not destroying the worlds that they come into, right? So uh, option number one that was introduced in this film was they have devices that can prevent world destruction. Option number two for getting to save the victims and save the worlds is that Spot himself becomes the solution. Maybe he has the ability to do that. Option number three is the centralness of Miles being the original anomaly, as you pointed out, right? And that somehow, some way, if Miles is able to do something, it creates a chain reaction that prevents anomalies from happening across the other universes. Maybe. But those are just, and there could be many more, those are just three possibilities, three possible narrative answers to how Miles can save Jefferson, his dad, and not have his world destroyed at the same time. Or maybe they do the really ballsy thing and they do kill Jefferson in the third film. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't put it by them at this point. But I think there are many, 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 many possible uh, options that could uh, could fix that. All right. Uh, next up, uh, John Redcorn writes, time to give Spider-Man, uh, Sony, I mean, time to give Sony some credit. Had Disney owned Spider-Man, we never would have gotten this masterpiece of a film. This is next level comic book storytelling. Listen, you're... I, I've been saying that, look, it, I've been saying this for so long. Everybody loves to crap on Sony, right? Sony's made mistakes. Make no mistake about it. Morbius, anybody? They do. But so do all movie studios. Sony has done, it, it is damn well time that people start recognizing Sony's made some fucking great films. They've made some marvelous films. And you know what? As much as everybody likes to paint Amy Pascal as the crazy, crazy cat lady who lives at the end of the street on Hollywood Boulevard, Amy Pascal has made some fucking great movies. And it is time for people to wake up and start realizing Sony makes some good stuff. They make, they make some bad stuff. They make some good stuff. But man, I'll tell you what, when they... When they make something really good, it's really good. Like, again, all due respect to Homecoming, Far From Home, and No Way Home. I love all those movies. I, I love those Spider-Man movies. But they've never made a movie as good as Into the Spider-Verse. They've never made a Spider-Man movie as good as Spider-Man 2. And they've never made a movie as good as Across the Spider-Verse. And you're right. And I don't mean that to bash on Disney. They've made some very, very good films with Spider-Man. I'm just saying that you're right. It's time to put, as LeBron James would say after winning a title, it's time to put some damn respect on their name. It just got to start wrecking. I mean, <laughs> until they make the next Morbius. All right, Cutter Hale writes, uh, the movie is absolutely phenomenal. It's now beat air as my favorite movie so far this year. The scene with Miss Chen was funny and the ending was, was soft. Tense. So just like, just like, not everybody in the theater I was in got the Donald Glover reference when he was in the cage as a live action prowler. You could tell not everybody in the theater got the Mrs. Chen reference. Like it took some people a minute to realize like, oh my God, this is store owner from Venom. It made me so happy because I like Venom more than most people do. I love the Venom movie. I don't care. I'm on a bash about that. Fuck yourself. You get mad at me that I like that movie. I like that movie. And if you don't, that's totally cool. But I do. I love that movie. And when I saw Mrs. Chen in there, I'm like, oh, please let Tom Hardy pop up. Oh, please let Tom Hardy pop up. But I love the Mrs. Chen reference. I thought it was great. I just love how the fact that she was just not impressed. Right. Just not impressed. 
Like she's seen Stranger Things. She's she's seen Otter Things. Get out of here with your little animated head. All right, um, Duck Cookie. Uh, sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you, Duck Cookie. He writes in, the universe erasure from not following canon events um, feel like TVAs. Oh, a little bit. Uh, M.O., no? Uh, with the Nexus as seen in Loki and Ant-Man 3, as well as Gwen noting they don't know what's causing this. I feel Kang's presence from beyond. Um, uh, am I right to think they may get a blend of live action animation and Secret Wars number two? No, I don't think so at all. No, and, you know, and this kind of goes back to the question, you know, somebody was asking a little bit earlier. It's like, wait a minute. How come in uh, Across the Spider-Verse, uh, if you're in the wrong universe, you glitch. But uh, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire didn't glitch because they're not connected. I mean, we 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 pretend they are for the sake of fun storytelling. They'll incorporate this, that and the other thing. But they're not really like not really. The Sony stuff is more. Listen, there's more of a chance that the Spider-Man Spider-Verse animated stuff could cross over with Sony's live action stuff. But I, I think very, un, not impossible, just unlikely that you'll see them cross over with Marvel animated stuff. At least that's, that's my guess. All right. Uh, thanks for that duck cookie. Next up. Uh, Chris Snyder writes, I'm genuinely, genuinely hyped to see what happens next. Mostly excited to see Spider-Man Noir, me too, buddy, uh, return and show Miles that he finally mastered the Rubik's Cube. The funny, see, I still love that joke because, of course, he lives in a black and white world. So how could he ever solve the Rubik's Cube? But I love that. And Nick Cage is the voice of Spider-Man Noir. I, I really do hope. I mean, we didn't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but we didn't hear him say anything, right? I don't think we just saw him at the end. We didn't hear him say anything um, at the end of uh, Across the Spider-Verse. So I, I do hope that we that they get Nick Cage back. I really, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world that they get another voice actor to come in and do the voice of noir. That, that's fine if they do. It's not going to ruin anything. But I really do hope they get back Nicolas Cage to do that because I, I love him voicing that so much. All right. Uh, next up, Chris Snyder sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you, Chris, for supporting us on that level, man. Uh, Chris writes, the movie is absolutely fantastic, but it's also incomplete. Uh, but can we agree that they handled the cliffhanger end ending better than Fast X did? I'm hyped and genuinely concerned for these characters' safety. Again, I disagree with the notion that the movie wasn't complete. It is every bit as complete, in my opinion. It is every bit as complete as Empire Strikes Back was. You, you finish a certain level and mission, you bring that part to conclusion, and now you open the door for what the next problem is. With Empire Strikes Back, they get out of Cloud City, and now they face the next problem. We haven't gotten Han back. Boba Fett got away with Han Solo. He's still out there. The Empire is still in control of everything. They're still going to destroy us, blah, blah, like all that kind of stuff, right? But that's just the open door. With Across the Spider-Verse, he finds out all the stuff he needs to in Miguel's universe. He's able to get away from them and get back into one of the other universes. Okay, complete. Now, he's still got to face a problem. He's got Dark Miles he's got to deal with. He still has to figure out a way to deal with Spot. And now you've got Gwen assembling a spider team to help Miles out. So to me, as a middle chapter, like Empire Strikes Back was, it is every bit a complete movie as Empire Strikes Back was. Granted, the door of the end of across the spider verse is a little bit more wide open, but to me, it's the same pattern and it still worked as well, but that's just my opinion on that, Chris. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, the, the cliffhanger in fast X is just ridiculous, right? 
it's it's not like the movie ended because the movie ended with Miles confronting Miles, right? It's not like Miles pulled a gun and was about to shoot good Miles, say goodbye, good guy Miles, and click, and then the screen goes dark, right? No, it's just it ended with the two realizing each of them exist. With Miles, our Miles finding out that this Miles exists and this Miles finding out that our good guy Miles exists and them just confronting each other. Whereas the Fast X thing is, oh no, he's destroyed this bridge, which there was no reason he should have had bombs on that bridge because he could have had him killed 85 times along the way and he could have died in a thousand different manners, but oh well, and now here comes the rush again. Oh no, what do we do? Like that's not how this one ended. It ended with just a, it ended with a proposition, right? a narrative proposition. And I was fine with that. I, I kind of like the way they did that, but that's just me. Um, all right. Uh, thanks for that, Chris. Appreciate it, man. Chris also writes, I love how the first one put focus on miles relationship with his dad and this one on his relationship with his mother. And she got some time to shine. She was the MVP. Great writing. I, I absolutely agree. And you know what I love too? I, I realize I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of, well, years, talking about the great dynamic between Miles's dad and Miles. And we've given a lot of service to talking about Miles's relationship with his mom. I love the relationship between his mom and dad. Like, I just, I just love that relationship. Like Miles is great, but the relate, they get more in this movie in between the dynamic between Miles's mom and dad, those two characters and their dynamic with each other. And where I really love it, is when Miles says something dumb because it happens a couple of times in the movie where Miles says something dumb and the dad is like, ooh, like <laughs> when they're in the principal's office and it's like he got a B minus in Spanish and the dad is like, ooh, because the dad knows, oh, your mom's going to be pissed. And the mom is like, ah, like I just love their relationship. I love that marriage. I love it, love it, love it, love it so much. And you're right, Chris, the, the writing in this movie is so top notch. It is so unbelievably top-notch. I, I just adored every level of it. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Drew Gretsch writes, seen the, film two two, blah, blah, seen the film two times now, and it's my favorite of all time. In my first screening, there was a guy right behind me snoring through the entire film. You know what? Here's the thing. Uh, sometimes people are tired, right? They're not all Ray Aura where they'll just fall asleep anywhere, anytime, but maybe he had a long day, man. Maybe he had to pull an all-nighter the night before and he didn't want to miss out on seeing, seeing Spider-Man and he just got in there and, you know, just just fell asleep. I mean, it happens. It is too bad, though, that you had to hear the guy snoring. All right, Curtis Lopez writes, saw this movie three times over the weekend. What an absolute masterpiece. The movie is simply the definition of art. Visually, yes. I mean, put everything else aside. It's a brilliant movie. Right. And I've always said that's the highest compliment I know how to give a comic book movie. That's not just a great comic book movie. It's a great movie. Uh, and it is great story, great characters, great dialogue, great writing. Take all the comic book aspects out. It's a great movie. But visually, the best word I know how to describe it is ambitious. It is such an original and ambitious visual technique that I don't want to see every movie using. Don't get me wrong, but in a selected application, like in the Spider-Verse movies, the, the art in it is just incredible. Uh, Curtis also writes, God, Spider-Punk is so cool. He's so cool. Taking a crap on the establishment, I salute you. And I love that 
uh, throughout, he was secretly helping a brother in Miles. Listen, one of my favorite lines of the movie, one of my favorite lines in the movie is when they're talking and then for the first time, Spider-Punk takes the mask off and Miles, I, this is, I don't think this is exactly how he worded it, but Miles is like, how is it possible that you look cooler without the mask on? Cause he takes it off. He's got this super cool look, uh, big props out to Daniel Kalua who did the voice of Spider-Punk. I just, that character was so cool. And even when like, like Miles is doing certain things and the camera cuts to Spider-Punk's face, he's just like, like he's just went, like, I do hope he's he's back for the next movie. I really do hope he is because he was a really great addition to the story. All right. The sock what writes the conversation between Miles and his mom is so great and beautiful in context of the movie. Uh, Pavitir, uh, Indian Spider. Oh, that right. Uh, Indian Spider-Man and Ben Riley were my two favorites Spider-Man. But Hobby is a close third. Uh, my favorite is Peter B. Parker. Personally, Gwen is also fantastic. Uh, we didn't get Spider-Ham and Spider-Man War in this, but I mean, they were all great. I just loved how, I loved how brooding Ben Riley is. I just, and Miguel is great. And Oscar Isaac as the voice of Miguel was absolutely fantastic. And man, like every single, man, come on, come on. One of the coolest moments, like you're just saying, how crazy can this get? And T-Rex Spider-Man shows up. A freaking Tyrannosaurus Rex Spider-Man shows up. I mean, they just did. Um, and, and DB in the live chat is reminding that Andy Samberg did the voice of Ben Riley and did such a great voice, a great a job of uh, voicing it. So incredible <laughs> when when Tyrannosaurus Rex Spider-Man shows up, I'm like, okay, <laughs> like all deals are off. This is this is so amazing. I love this. All right, thanks for that, sock. I appreciate that, man. Casey Mack writes. The, it's funny, uh, the things you catch the second time, the first time I didn't notice, but when the machine was working for Miles to send him home, I didn't notice the whole Earth-42 the first time on the screen. You know what? I didn't notice that either. I didn't notice that either. And had you not brought that up, Casey Mack, I probably wouldn't even notice my second or third time. That's really interesting. It probably should have been the first big giveaway for us. Well noticed, my friend. Good deductive work there. All right. Casey Mack also writes, do you think Gwen Stacy's dad decision not to be a captain is another case for a canon event being disrupted? Could her universe disappear? I don't think so. I think if a character in that world who is native to that world makes a decision, I think that's part of canon of that world. I think it's when an outside force comes in and does something, right? Like Miles... Um, deliberately going in and saving that captain. Miles is not even supposed to be part of that world. And yet he goes in and say that broke the cannon. I don't know if say um, that police captain in Spider-Man India's world, if he had just decided, you know what? I don't feel good today. I'm just going to stay in bed and wasn't there for the event. Then I don't think it's a, then I don't think it's a cannon event. So I think, and I'm just speculating here as a fan, I'm thinking uh, that Spider-Gwen's dad just deciding I'm not going to be a cop anymore, then that's fine. I, then I think that's just part of the canon of that world. Again, I don't know that. I'm just speculating, but that's my thoughts on it at any rate. All right, Casey also writes in, one last thing, I just got to say that I love that Prowler theme. Glad it came back. I love that. You know, it reminds me a lot of the Wonder Woman theme. 
You know, when Wonder Woman touched up, you got that, nah, 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 that, that whole thing. But like in Prowler, it just starts off with the, those that deep French horn kind of sound. Wow. Like that, that sound. I love that sound. I love it. All right. Next up, Fanjecture writes, $120.5 million start, and this is going to have legs. I don't think Elemental or, or Teenage Kraken is going to cut too deep into its week, weekly drops. Not enough buzz. Not at all. But here's the other thing. I made a video this past week about how big of a drop will uh, Little Mermaid have. And I said, Little Mermaid's in trouble. Because you got Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse coming out, and that's appealing to the same family demographic. And I predicted that Little Mermaid was going to take a 65% drop. Because remember, between 50 and 60%, that's where you want to be. Anything less than a 50% drop, you're celebrating and popping bottles. Anything over 60, you start to get concerned. And I predicted it would take a 65% drop. Did you? Did anybody notice how big of a drop Little Mermaid took? 57%. I predicted a 65% drop. It only took a 57% drop. What that tells me is that there is room for multiple, more room than I anticipated for multiple types of films to get big audiences coming out a 50% drop in a second weekend. That's solid, especially going up against spider. So, so what that tells me is, is that movies like elemental and movies like teenage Kraken, not that I have any interest in teenage Kraken. It tells me, you know what? There might be more room here for them to have some box office success and for spider verse to still do very, very well. There might be room for all of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so even without Elemental, or sorry, let me rephrase that. Even with Elemental and Teenage Kraken coming in, I'm starting to wonder if maybe that wouldn't, there's there's enough room for everybody to make money. Again, I, I predicted, my guess was that, that Little Mermaid was going to take a 65% drop. It, it stayed in the 50s. I am surprised by that. I'm surprised. But it just tells me that, yeah, I think you're right, Fang Jesher. I think this movie... Across Spider-Verse is going to have legs. It's going to have legs. Uh, Fanjecture also writes, It's tragic that as of now, feature animation directors aren't allowed a membership into the DGA. Uh, would have loved to have seen this team earn a, a, a nominated for an Oscar. I don't believe that... The, I don't... I'm not going to pretend that I know the ins and outs of every all the rules in the DGA, but I don't think that's true, Fanjecture. Uh, I don't believe that's true at all. Brad Bird is a member of the DGA. Um... I don't believe it's true that you can't be that feature animation directors are not allowed membership in the DGA. I, I might be wrong about that. I'm not, by the way, I'm not an expert on the guidelines of DGA. I, I just don't believe that's true. I don't think that that's true. Um, because again, I know a lot of feature film directors who are indeed in the DGA. Um, and I think they were before they became live action direct directors. Uh, Kevin Rubio, who knows uh, who's in the live chat with us right now, he knows the DGA very, very well. He knows the industry very, very well. And he was saying that is not true. Um, so, uh, I mean, I'll trust Kevin on that. Uh, again, myself, um, 
I, I do not believe, I don't think there's any rule that says, oh, you're a director, but you've only done an animation. Oh, then you're not allowed in the DGA. I don't think that's true. Um, uh, John Schnepp was in the DGA and he had only done animation at the time. But a- anyway, anyway, uh, that's, a, that's a separate topic for, for another issue uh, altogether. All right. Thanks for that, Fanjecture. Next up. Uh, Curtis Lopez writes, I love the look of Gwen's world in the scene, uh, when she and her dad talked, I noticed the color palette and watercolor background would change, uh, in each frame again, every single environment. It wasn't even every single world, every single environment had something about it that was distinct and unique from every other scene. Like no two scenes had the exact palette. Not no two scenes had the the same design structure. Um, it's yeah, I, I mean, from what they accomplished from an artistic point of view in this movie is just absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. It's just so gorgeous to look at. All right, Curtis Lopez writes. Uh, after watching Across the Spider Verse, saw a cinema therapy episode on the first Into the Spider Verse, and the clip where the spider bites Miles noticed that it glitches. They were foreshadowing even back then. Yeah. So it's like they always kind of knew where they were going to go. Like we always knew from the design of the spider in the first film that there was something that wasn't a normal spider, right? There was something unique about the spider. And. Now, having seen the second film, we saw that they kind of were looking forward. They, they kind of knew where they were going with it, and it was really great with the way they got there. All right, guys, listen. Uh, we are now at the one-hour mark that we've been doing this, and uh, my cup's empty. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to take just a quick break. I'm going to run. Uh, refill my drink, give you guys a chance to run to the bathroom, grab yourself something to eat, talk amongst each other. So we're going to break for about one minute and 15 seconds while I refill my drink. And we're going to hear from a sponsor of our channel here. Our main sponsor, actually my mobile service provider, our friends at Mint Mobile. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my old phone plan. For people Looking for extra savings this year? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile for being a great mobile service provider. Guys, I have never been happier with a cell phone provider uh, as I have with Mint Mobile. And yes, they are kind of one of our main sponsors here on the show, but I do highly, highly, highly recommend them. You are wasting money if you're not on Mint Mobile. Go and check them out. All right. 
With that down, guys, let's keep going here. Next up, uh, Curtis Lopez writes, maybe get, uh, maybe get offended, maybe get offended the kid's ass. I, I mean, in the movie, he says, maybe get off the kid's ass. Um, got a big laugh every time in the theater. Yeah, when, when Miles is talking to his dad as Spider-Man, it's always good. Maybe get off the kid's ass. I love that line. That was great. Uh, Curtis writes, I meant, oh, there you go. You're following up. I meant off, stupid spell check. Yeah, get off the kid's ass. That was a really, really, it, it got a big laugh in my theater too. Actually, it got a big laugh out of me. Um, Joey, that, man, that big yeah, that bagel hit the spot. Get it? Ah, thanks, Joey. Uh, CJ Rebirth writes, I like Gwen in this more than I did in the first one. Also, biggest shock for me was when they did a Silence of the Lambs with Miles ending up in Universe 42. I'm not, I'm not quite following what you mean by they pulled a Silence of the Lambs. It puts on the dress. Yeah, you know, what, like what? I'm not totally sure what we're talking about. Um, wrong apartment in seven. Anyway, uh, but the whole thing, I, that big twist that he's actually in the universe that the spider came from. I, I thought that was a really, really good twist, CJ. All right. Uh, Paolo Zugino, uh, uh, Zuniga writes, seems like a lot of people are having a problem with the audio miss, especially at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, again, we were talking about this earlier at the beginning of the stream. It. I'm starting to suspect it's the Dolby Atmos sound mix because people I'm hearing who saw it in IMAX said the audio mix was fine. People I'm hearing who saw it in like an, another more vanilla theater saying it was actually pretty fine. It's people who are in either AMC prime Dolby or other Dolby theaters that use the Atmos. I am starting to suspect it's a problem with the Atmos sound mix might be right, might be wrong, but we'll find out. All right. Keister. Sends in like a $20 super chat. Thank you, Keister, for sponsoring us on that level, dude. Uh, clutching at straws here on which movie is the greatest comic book movie of all time. Civil War, Winter Soldier, Spider-Man 2, Superman, Shang-Chi, or Infinity War. Certainly up there in the discussion, a truly exceptional movie. Yeah, I, I mean, it for me, like right now, like my what I think are the three greatest comic book movies of all time, all for very different reasons. The first uh, Joss Whedon uh, Avengers movie. Spider-Man, uh, I'm not Spider-Man, sorry, uh, Logan and The Dark Knight. Uh, those to me are the three best comic book movies ever made, each for their own very different, unique reasons. And I'm not saying Across the Spider-Verse is now going to be on that list. But for me now, moving forward, I think now when I'm thinking of the greatest comic book films of all time, that one is going to be in my head too. It's going to be a part of the conversation. Um, I, 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 I came out of the movie theater almost, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, disoriented. Like, I'm like, what did I just watch? Like that, that was so good. And they did things. I can't believe that they did. And yeah, man, I, I just, it's the type of movie that makes it gratifying to be a movie fan. Let me say that again. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is the kind of movie that really makes it gratifying to be a movie fan. Um, I I just adored it so much, man. Thanks for that, Keyser. Appreciate that very much. All right. Fangblaze71 writes, this whole movie was amazing, but the section in Earth 2099 was insane. That fight on the train was so good. It had me on the edge of my seat. Dude, 
You got to watch. Somebody wrote in earlier saying, you know, there are things you pick up the second time. You have to watch this movie three or four times to really appreciate all the action sequences, particularly on Earth 2099, right? Because every single moment, there's something so cool that either Miles or one of the other Spider-Men are doing. There is so much detail. Actually, Walter Lopez in the live chat just said that. There is so much detail that you can never possibly get it in one screening. Never possibly get it in one screen. There's so much going there, even just in the action. All right, Fangblaze71 also writes, uh, this may have my favorite soundtrack and score of all time. They really went all out for this movie, especially the music when Miguel explained canon. Like, I will say this. I think the soundtrack, like the songs, in the first Spider-Verse movie are better. I think the score, the orchestral music, I think the score is better in this movie. Right. So soundtrack, I thought was better in the first one score, I think is better in this one. Um, at least that's how I see, it. by the way, Savon Lofton just became a channel member. Thank you, Savon Lofton. Appreciate that man very much. Um, yeah, so that's, that's how I see it at any rate, maybe right, maybe wrong, uh, but we'll see. All right. Uh, Johnny got lost writes a lot of people complaining about the ending, but I think, um, that we are all just spoiled by the instant gratification of the streaming era. Yeah, maybe. And again, I, I, this has been coming up a lot. I compare it to the ending of Empire Strikes Back. It is the middle chapter of a movie. They brought one of the big narrative parts to its conclusion and then ended with the open door that leads us into the next part. I don't see it much different from the ending of Empire Strikes Back. It is the middle chapter of a story I was perfectly fine. And you might have something there about the instant gratification of streaming. Right, because in the streaming, I was like, oh, okay, now just watch the next one, click. Okay, now just watch the next one, click. Maybe that's part of it. But I, I thought it was quite a good ending, actually, uh, the way they pulled it off. All right. Johnny Got Lost Race. Tonight will be my third viewing. Might go for a fourth. I'm right there with you, dude. I am right there with you. Uh, HV3 writes, movies are definitely subjective. I really enjoyed this movie, but it doesn't even register in the top 20 comic book movies for me. Uh, maybe in the top five for best Spider-Man movies. Hey, listen, again, HV3, like I said, I was talking about this a little bit earlier. It's, it doesn't really matter how good you think the movie is, right? Like I said earlier, for me, when I go into a movie, I'm not like, this movie has to be in the top three or this movie has to be a best this and this. I just go into a movie going, I just want this to be good. Just be good. Give me an enjoyable time. And the important part is that what you said there, you really enjoyed it. That's all that matters. Like, yeah, then we can get into the minutiae about how good is it? Where does it rank in the top this and that and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. And these are all fun conversations to have. We have them very often, but they're not the important question. The important question as film fans is, did you like it? And I think I'm just, look, I'm sure all film is subjective. So I'm sure there are people who didn't like this movie. I'm just saying I have not yet heard from anybody that didn't like this movie. I'm sure they are out there. I'm just saying I have not personally heard from anybody that is not like this movie. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. Do you like it? Did you have fun with it? After that, it's just all details. But <clears throat> the important thing here is you enjoyed what we got. All right. We keep going now. Uh, HV3 also writes, I was pretty disappointed with the ending. I knew it was part one of a two-part movie. Well, actually, it's 
part two of a three-part movie. But uh, but I didn't realize it was going to end on a massive cliffhanger. I'm super excited for the next one, though. See, to me, I, I don't get people saying it ended on a cliffhanger. What cliffhanger? I, I, I don't understand. What was the cliffhang? It ended with situations. Like, the Fast X ending is a cliffhanger and I hate those kind of cliffhangers like oh no the the bridge has exploded and the water's falling on us how will we ever get out of this like yeah that but this movie just ended with like did Empire Strikes Back end on a cliffhanger they finished one part of the story and then it's well both that got away with hand we got to figure out a way to get him back Lando and Chewie are off to go get him blah blah all this kind of stuff right but but it's just an open door the, the this movie didn't end on a cliffhanger. It's like, okay, the two Mileses are now aware of each other's existence. Gwen has assembled a team to help Miles and Miguel is out there looking and sorry, Spot has now gone into that world, which we knew because he's going to go in there to try to kill his dad. But it's not like he got in there and he grabbed, you know, uh, Jefferson says, now I'm going to kill you, father of Miles Morales, because he threw a bag out my head and now I'm going to kill you and here comes the killing blow. And then the, the credits roll. This wasn't a cliffhanger. It wasn't a cliffhanger. We had three distinct scenarios. But again, to me, it's no different than Empire Strikes Back. But again, that's just me. If, if you felt it was that way, I'm not trying to undermine how you felt about it. I'm just saying my perspective of it was very different from yours. But again, that's just me. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Ricky Bizarro writes, I haven't felt this ecstatic about a movie in a while. Uh, the hype from critics, social media, everyone in the seats. It's why I love movies. I feel like I'm part of a cultural event. I, you know what? You, you nailed it. I'm sitting in this theater and watching this movie, and you're right. You feel like you are part of a cultural event. That is a perfect way to put it. And every once in a while, you watch a movie where at some point you realize you're a part of something special right now, right? I remember watching The Departed and like at some point going, this is something special, and of course, that went on to win Best Movie at the Academy Awards, got Martin Scorsese, his one and only Best Director Oscar, and all that kind of stuff. It just every once in a while, you're in a, a truly special movie, and that moment hits you as a film fan where you realize something special is happening here. Like this, this is going to be a movie we are going to talk about for a long time. And that's what Across the Spider-Verse, there's a lot of great movies. Like I, I love Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I love this movie. I think Guardians 3 is a great movie. But it's a great movie. It's it's not one that I was watching and thinking and then thinking to myself, man, this is going to be something really special that we talk about for the next three years, right? As much as I like Guardians 3, I never once felt that it was just like, like three years from now, we're still going to be talking about this movie. And, and most great movies are like that, right? Most great movies are, that was a great movie. Okay, now we move on to the next movie. And we remember that one fondly. But we're not still talking about it for years. This is going to be one of those movies. This is going to be one of those movies um, that we are going to be talking about next week, next month, next year, and probably for years to come. Much like we are, we do with Winter Soldier, or much like we do with The Dark Knight. I, 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 
it's just at some point that moment hits you where you realize this is something really good. And and I love the way you articulated that, Ricky, because I, I agree. I think this is going to be something that we talk about for years. Um, all right. Next up. Uh, Ricky also writes, I also highly recommend listening to uh, Metro Boomin's album, too. It's fantastic. Hummingbird is my personal favorite. Have you listened? Do you have a favorite? I've, I've never heard of. I'll be honest with you. I've never heard of Metro Boomin. I assume this is a band that might be in the soundtrack of the movie. Other than that, Ricky, I must confess, I've never even heard of the band. Um, Sam Fisher writes, one of three. It took me a while to process this movie, but after six hours, I loved it. Maybe my experience at the theater was coloring my view because it wasn't the greatest movie-going experience. And I think that, and I think the half movie thing is throwing me off. Uh, might have to see it again because I got a headache halfway through and the people next to me were distracting me a ton. Oh, that's unfortunate. Not disruptive, but distracting. Thanks, ADHD brain. <laughs> you know, okay. And okay, that's different, right? Like if somebody is not being disruptive, then you can't really blame them if for some other reason they're distracting, right? Then then uh, you can't really be mad at other people. But but what you're saying is a truism for us as movie fans, right? A lot of times the environment... Listen, 99% of the time, the environment we're in when we're watching the movies adds to the movie-going experience for me. Being in that theater with hundreds of other people gasping and sighing and jumping and, and screaming and whatever all at the same time or laughing or crying that enhances the movie going experience for me. But the opposite side of that coin is also true. Sometimes we uh, get into a, a movie watching experience where the people around us are detract from our experience. And, and, and that's the unfortunate thing. You can't have one side of the coin without the other. Uh, and that is unfortunate, but I'm glad you were able to kind of push through the situations you were in um, uh, and, uh, and seeing it for what it was, by the way, in case none of you heard, we're going to talk more about this on the John campus tomorrow. Do you guys hear the director's guild reached an agreement with the producers? There's not going to be a director's guild strike. That's, sh- that's kind of surprising. We have been assuming that with the writers on strike pretty soon, the actors and the directors would be going on strike as well. But apparently the directors struck a deal with the producers now it's going to be interesting to see how this affects the writer. If this will put pressure on the writer's guild to get a deal made. Not sure. We'll have to see. Anyway, we'll talk more about that tomorrow. Okay. Uh, next up. Uh, also Sam Fisher. Oh, no. Wait a minute. Cinema writes. I don't know why I never put it together that the spider that bit Miles was from another dimension, even though we saw it glitch a few times the first. I'm right there with you. I never put it together. I, I don't know why I, I we listen every, it's hindsight is everything right and in hindsight yes we probably should have recognized it we probably should have known um uh, but yeah we didn't and uh and that's on us I get okay I lost my spot okay there we are next up cinema also writes he only had one line but I was so happy to see the spectacular spider-man variant he's the one that says we know it's hard but it's the truth, Miles. I did not recognize that Spider-Man. I had to have Ray tell me all about it uh, because Ray loves that Spider-Man. That Spider-Man popping up with the blocky kind of animation made Ray so happy. I, again, to be clear, I never watched that Spider-Man, so I had no idea who that Spider-Man was, but Ray was clearly very happy with it, and many of you guys are clearly happy with it. All right, Fangblaze writes, Who's Spider-Man? That reveal was great. Oh, with the mom? Yeah, like I thought it was just at first like, come on. Obviously, I know the mom isn't 
the dad isn't a cop out there. Come on, the mama knows who Spider-Man is. And then it started to dawn on me. It was a great moment. All right. Sam Fisher also writes, uh, this really was half a movie. I, again, I disagree with everybody who says that, but that's just me. Uh, much more like Dune than Infinity War Endgame. I'm mad because I want the rest of it. Is there a word for that? Well, it's called anticipation. You know, they always say in show business, leave them wanting more. But, you know, again, I, I just bring it back to The Empire Strikes Back. It, it I mean, look, I concede and I agree that Infinity War was very much more of a standalone movie because it has a definitive beginning, a definitive end, uh, middle, and a definitive end. Endgame is not part two of Infinity War. Infinity War is its own movie, period. There's a threat, the bad guy's trying to do something, and the bad guy won, period. There was no open door of what do we do now? There was no open door of how do we change what he just did? It was just done. The movie was over. It was finished. Infinity War is its own standalone movie. And the bad guy won. Then, years later comes another story that takes place in that world where people have an idea to go back and, and change what had happened. It was a totally separate thing. So I, I think you're right. That is distinction between something like Infinity War and Across the Spider-Verse. But I don't think Across the Spider-Verse was ever meant to be a definitively single standalone movie. It is meant more to be like Lord of the Rings, um, Fellowship of the Ring, going into Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, going into Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, right? It's really more comparable to that than it is to Infinity War. It's more comparable, I believe, to Empire Strikes Back than it is to Infinity War. So yes, Infinity War is a separate sort of thing, and it's very distinct from that. But again, I, I draw it more of a comparison to Empire Strikes Back and the Lord of the Rings films, but that's just me. All right, next up, we got uh, D-Train writes, Thoughts on Ben Riley, voiced by Andy Samberg. He did great. I loved it. He's pretty much what Boba Fett was in Empire in terms of looking badass and kind of stealing the scene. Hope he has a larger role in the next one. I, again, I have my own prejudices in this because just because I've always been a Scarlet Spider slash Ben Riley defender, a whole defender of the Clone Saga. I've always appreciated Ben Riley. I have always appreciated that character and the origins of that character and all that kind of stuff. So I'm a little bit prejudiced in saying I loved it and I love what they did with them. Um, so yeah, D train, I am completely mark me down as being on the Ben Riley train. 100% I'm on the Ben Riley train. Um, Sam Fisher writes, love the action cameos. It was a brilliant way to incorporate a lot of cameos to make them fit the narrative, which is something a lot of movies don't do. Right. Uh, Anthony C writes, 208 million on a hundred million dollar budget. It broke even quick. It did not break even. Don't make no mistake. It needs probably to make probably needs to make in the neighborhood of 300 to 320 million dollars to break even. Uh, but I mean, opening to 120 million domestically when they were optimistically projecting 80 to 90. And I said it was break that. I said it would get to 110. It went even further than that. It got to 120. Absolutely fantastic opening. But we'll talk more about that tomorrow. Manny G writes, 
Uh, one of two. Love the movie, but was a bit confused with the anomaly part. If he's an anomaly and not supposed to be, uh, not supposed to be Spider-Man, then why are Spider-Man, why are Spider-Man-ish canon things still in his canon timeline? Like his dad, police captain dying, or his version of Uncle Ben. I'm not sure I'm following you, Manny. Let me try this again. Love the movie's a bit confused with the anomaly part. If he's an anomaly and not supposed to be Spider-Man, then why are Spider-Man-ish canon things still in his canon timeline? Like his dad, police captain dying, or his version of Uncle Ben. I think if you look at the broader Spider-Verse that's in the Across the Spider-Verse movies, right? Not every universe is the same. In one universe, there was never a Peter Parker. In one universe, there is a Peter Parker, but that Peter Parker never became Spider-Man. Gwen Stacy became Spider-Woman instead, right? And that is the canon there. So, <coughs> pardon me. Um, so, it, trying to draw parallels between what would be canon in one person's universe. Like for instance, in one of your one universe or a set of universes, an uncle Ben dies in other universe. There is no uncle Ben. So it, it's, instead of, but each universe will still have its own canon things, whether or not they're connected to a miles Morales, Spider-Man, a Peter Parker, Spider-Man, a Gwen Stacy, Spider-Man, a noir Spider-Man, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, Spider-Man, a cowboy Spider-Man, a Lego Spider-Man, whatever. They won't necessarily be the same or interconnected, but they'll still all have canon things, whether or not they're connected to Spider-Man directly. So I, I think trying to draw those strings rather than looking at it as an infinite universe and a whole bunch of things become canon events or not. And some will be similar and some will not. I think you just kind of have to take it for what it is on that level. I, and that's just the way I see it, Manny, but it's an interesting point you bring up there, man. All right. Sam Fisher writes, does anyone else want a series of shorts about a uh, hobby babysitting May day? You know what that reminds me of what there was a short in the Incredibles about did you guys see this i think there was a short at least i think it was a short about edna mode babysitting jack jack or was that in incredibles 2 i can't remember if there was a short about that or whatever i know i know there was a bunch of shorts about jack jack but um yes i would totally watch a couple of shorts of hobby trying to babysit may day I would watch the hell out of that. I thought little baby Mayday was so cute. Oh my God. I thought she was adorable. All right. Let's see. CJ Rebirth writes, hello, Sing. This is your daughter. I don't know her. Also, Spider-Hams, you can't always save line. Hits harder now. Love seeing him. Penny and Noir again. Oh yeah. Seeing Penny again was great. Um, but but this is really, it reminds us that this has been a theme, not just for these Spider-Man Spider-Verse movies, but really for all superhero movies. There comes a point when a hero has to confront the reality that you can't save everyone. There are There's going to be days, and the hero should never accept that, but it's still true. You can't save everyone. And Spider-Man himself is now having to face that on a very personal level. Because now they're talking, for Miles, they're talking about his own father. And you can't save everyone. And 
I think that's going to become really, really even bigger as we move into Beyond the Spider-Verse, and it's an important central theme. There are several big themes that run across most superhero films, right? Like, the hero's road is often a lonely one. There's that one. But I also think the one, the one that most heroes are going to have to accept at some point is that you cannot save everybody. You're not going to be able to do it all. And it sounds like that's going to be a big thing that Miles is going to have to continue to wrestle with as they move forward. All right. Uh, let's see here. Ethan Holgate writes, uh, to each their own, John, but this movie felt a little overhyped for me. Don't get me wrong. I really liked it. Again, that's all that matters. The only thing that matters is, did you like it? That's it. Um, it's one of those movies where I feel once I see the third movie, I might appreciate this one more. Listen, Ethan, that's the beautiful thing about the subjectivity of film, right? All film hits all of us in different ways. And if for you, your experience didn't live up to the same experience that other people had, like I had, or maybe some other people. There's nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you or that there's anything wrong with the movie. It just means your experience with it was a certain level. Again, to me, that's not the important thing. The important thing for me with every movie I see is a simple question of, did you have a good time? Did you enjoy it? Once that's down, that's 95% of the, the equation right there. Did you enjoy it or did you not? After, if you didn't enjoy it, then how much you didn't enjoy it isn't really the important thing. If you did like it, how much you like it isn't really the important thing. It's did you like it? And again, to this point, and again, I'm sure they're out there. I have not had anybody tell me they didn't like this movie. Again, all film is subjective, so there are absolutely people who didn't like the movie. I'm just saying I haven't heard from any of them yet. Every, the worst things I'm hearing from people right now, Ethan, like yourself, is like... I didn't think it was as good as the hype, but I really enjoyed it. I mean, that's that's the worst thing I'm hearing about this movie so far. I mean, I've heard much worse things about Infinity War and Top Gun Maverick and whatever other movie. But like the worst things I'm hearing so far, are people saying, I don't think it's the greatest comic book film of all time, but I still really liked it. I mean, and when that is kind of becomes the floor, that's you've done pretty well. I mean, I think we can agree. That means you've probably done pretty well. Anyway, glad you enjoyed it, Ethan. All right, Casey Mack writes, I thought the spot was a little goofy to start out, but once he learned uh, what his powers could do, he got more confident and menacing. Again, the thing I really like about him is that going back, we talked about this a bit earlier. If When you go back to that introductory scene when he's trying just to rob a convenience store, right? You can tell from the way he's talking to the store owner, he's not evil, at least not yet. He's just angry. He's angry and he's hurt. Because his life, from what we thought was an inconsequential event in the first movie, look what happened to him. I mean, just look what happened to him. His life got turned upside down. His, he lost his life. And now he's something else entirely. Everything that he had in his life was gone. And he's angry and he's hurt. And the best villains are the ones that come from, I'm born bad. No, the best villains are the ones that come out of a place of anger and hurt. And while he's even fighting Miles, he's getting angry at Miles. Like, you disrespect me. You're not focusing on our fight. And he's getting, and then he starts to realize just how powerful he can be. And that's leading him down a darker and darker and a darker path. And to me, that makes him a fascinating villain 
an absolutely fascinating villain. Um, and I cannot wait to see what they're going to do. And again, I still think there's a possibility in the third film he gets redeemed and he becomes part of the solution of fixing the anomalies. I don't know that that's going to happen. I just think he's one of the three possibilities uh, of, of that happening. Anyway, thanks, Casey. Next up, Sam Fisher writes, one of two. I'm glad Jessica Drew is getting some attention. I would love a movie about the character as super soldier prototype slash Parker clone turned super spy. Uh, part two, live action maybe, but I wouldn't make it the same as the version here. Don't make a spinoff, uh, just a movie about Jessica Drew. I think we're going to get our first look at Jessica Drew in the Madam Web movie. I think I saw a report saying that we're going to get a Jessica Drew in the Madam Web movie. At, at any rate, I, you know what I loved? Not at this past CinemaCon a few weeks ago or last month, but last year at CinemaCon, they showed us that big first opening sequence where uh, Gwen goes to the museum. They fight Vulture, Miguel and uh, Jessica show up and all this kind of stuff. And we see that Jessica's pregnant. I thought that is so, I just love the fact that they throw in little details like that, that, Hey, I'm still a person and I still have a life and I got pregnant and I'm pregnant and she's running around carrying a baby. What's that? I don't know why. I just, there was something so cool about that being in the movie and a part of the movie. I really like that that was a part of it. All right. Uh, let's see. Ethan Holgate writes, is it just me or did Spot sound a bit like Ryan Reynolds? I know it wasn't him. Uh, that thought just crossed my mind when the voice of John Schwartzman uh, with, in my mind, with the voice John Schwartz, uh, you mean Jason? Uh, Jason Schwartz chose. Um I don't, you know what? I, I did not think that myself when watching the movie, but I bet now if I, the next time I watch the movie and now that I've heard you say that, Ethan, I won't be surprised if the next time I watch the movie, I hear Ryan Reynolds in it, but there is a Ryan Reynolds connection because the guy who does the voice, um, uh, with Jason Schwartz and stuff like that. There is also a connection in the movie to Ryan Reynolds because the guy who does the voice of Spider-Man India is Dopinder from Deadpool. He was in there. It's all connected. Just like a big Spider-Verse, it's all connected. Sam Fisher writes, I'm mad that I didn't catch Miles was in the wrong universe earlier because they introduced him as Earth 1610, but then put him up on the computer as Earth 42. Somebody else mentioned that earlier. That was a detail in the film that I never caught. I think it was Casinema was was the one that pointed that out, out earlier. It might have been Casinema. Anyway, and I never even noticed it. So now I'm going to have to go. So little details like that. The fact that the thing said 42 on it. The fact that in the first movie, the spider glitches that should have been uh, foreshadowing to us that the spider was in the wrong universe in the first place. Like all these little details like shows how intricately they planned this stuff out. It's crazy impressive. All right. Andy Brake sends in a $22 super chat. Thank you, Andy, for supporting us on that level, man. And Andy writes, loved this film. I was taken out of it by my first bad experience uh, with a crying baby. The parent wouldn't remove from the theater, but I can't complain that much because the movie made me cry and my wife didn't remove <laughs> My wife didn't remove me. Ah, that's the best comment of the day. I got mad that a parent didn't remove their crying baby, but I cried and my wife didn't remove me. I love that. That's great. You know what? Let me let me take for a second here and throw in just my thought again on 
kids, babies in movie theaters. I have no problem with parents bringing babies to movies. It's tough to be a parent and all that kind of stuff. And, and parents shouldn't be disqualified from seeing movies. And if a, if a baby fusses a little bit, I think sh people in theater should be a little bit more freaking understanding. That being said, if a baby is fussing a little bit and doesn't stop, you know, because most babies, they'll fuss for a bit, then they'll quiet down. And maybe a little bit later, they'll fuss a little bit more, but then they quiet down. That's just, that's the pattern of babies, right? I have no problem with that. And I have a lot of understanding. I think it, it there is a point though, where then the responsibility is on the parent that you got to be cognitive of the fact that if your baby gets really fussy and is not stopping being fussy, there's nothing wrong with your baby. I'm just saying that you've got to be cognitive that there's a lot of other people in that movie theater who paid to be there and they're trying to have a movie experience. And at some point you need to take responsibility and step out of the theater. It sucks. You've planned to have this night out. You want to watch this movie too. I get all that. And I think if your baby fusses a bit, everybody else in the theater should be a little understanding. But if, if it doesn't stop and you know, babies are babies. Sometimes they're just going to be like that. You need to take responsibility and just, you know, take the baby out of the theater. And hopefully once your baby settles down, then try coming back in again. But yeah, I, I, I think it's both things. I think number one, I think movie theater goers need to be a little bit more understanding when a baby's fussing a little bit. But number two, that if a baby continues to be fussy, the, the, the parents really need to take responsibility and, and walk out of the theater and, and be considerate of everybody else's movie going experience. Anyway, this is kind of my two cents on that whole thing. Anyway, Andy, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you cried. And I'm glad your wife didn't take you out of the theater for crying. All right. Mulan Rouge writes, I never use the, I, I never use this word a lot of across this. Hmm. I never use this word. A lot of across the spider verse was perfect to me. It took its time with the story and it never felt long. The characters were great. Nine more months till beyond the spider verse. Yeah. I mean, again, to me, there were times that I felt the length of the movie. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Okay, it, there were times for me that it, I felt the length a little bit. That being said, character development, dialogue, inner character dynamics, narrative flow, structure, humor, action. This is, I will, I will not use the word perfect, but this is a masterpiece of a movie. This is a masterpiece of a movie to me. I am so thoroughly impressed by what they did and overwhelmed. And it's it's everything a movie should deliver in, a, in an experience. It's just so good. Um, and I'm glad you had a good time with that. I, I, I won't use the word perfect, but my God, is it ever good. I'm glad you had a good time, uh, Mulan. All right. Uh, Sam Fisher writes, I love the twist that Miles is a villain in Earth-42 uh, because that's right out of the comics when they revealed Earth 616 Miles, he was a gang leader. I mean, I just thought the twist was great because what it's like butterfly effect, right? What big deal can happen in a universe just because a spider that's supposed to be there gets over into another universe? Well, pretty big. Somehow, some way, Miles' dad dies. And Miles' dad dies. I mean, I don't know if they're going to say Miles is the one that killed him or maybe Miles' dad dying sets him on a really dark path and he becomes Prowler instead of Spider-Man. I, I, again, there's a lot of different things that could happen here with the butterfly effect, but I just thought that 
Miles Morales looked pretty damn cool. When he took off the Prowler helmet and you see the way he's got his hair down, I just thought that looked so cool. All right. Uh, next up, Ross Pitt Shark Hunter writes, I've only just seen it, so I can't actually say for certainty. Recency bias is a B word. Uh, but uh, just that experience alone is making me feel it might be my favorite film of all time. Listen, that is the hallmark of a truly special movie. Maybe after the the punch drunkness of it wears off, we don't necessarily think it's the greatest movie of all time. But here's the thing. When you watch a movie, and it only happens every few years, but when you watch a movie, and you even start to wonder, is this the greatest movie I've ever seen? Or is this the greatest comic book movie I've ever seen? Or is this one of my all-time favorites? Just the fact that your experience watching it makes you even wonder that. That is a special, special thing. And it takes a really special movie. And maybe at the end of the day, you don't think it's your favorite movie of all time. And maybe at the end of the day, you don't think it's a top one, two, or three greatest comic book movie of all time. Maybe ultimately you don't. But it takes a very special film to maybe to even make you wonder. I love The Flash. I never wondered if it was the greatest comic book movie of all time. Like I'm pretty it's not the greatest comic book film of all time, but it's fantastic. I can't wait for you guys to watch Flash. It's fantastic. But I never once thought to myself, oh my God, is this the greatest comic book movie of all? I never thought that. I love Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Love Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I never once thought to myself, is this the greatest comic book movie of all time? Never once. I love Shang-Chi. Love Shang-Chi. Most of the more people do. But I never wondered to myself, is this the greatest comic book movie of all time? But this movie made me wonder that. I didn't say it made me conclude that, but it made me wonder that. And again, it is very rare and it is very special when a movie can even make you think such questions. And that's just a sign of just how special this movie is. Um, okay. Uh, next up, we got Sam Fisher again who writes, did Miguel being a vampire not raise a red flag for anyone? Who is your favorite Spider-Man? I loved Andy Samberg as Ben Riley. Well, listen, we, we had... We had Spider-Men that were androids. We had Spider-Men that was a Tyrannosaurus Rex. We had Spider-Men that were, I mean, no, I don't think anybody, <laughs> I don't think anybody blinked at anything they said about any of them. Again, my favorite is Peter B. Parker. The, the main character from the first one with, with Miles. And I just think he is, I, I think that is, he's the most important figure in these movies. And I think he's going to ultimately be, he is Miles's mentor. I think he's the funniest character in these movies. I, I love this character. And they just made it even bigger to me. So, so that's my favorite. All right. Uh, Ross Pitt, Shark Hunter, sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you, Ross Pitt, for supporting us on that level, man. And Ross writes, I rewatched the first film last night in preparation for seeing this today, and a crazy theory popped in my head. What if Spot was that guy who got hit in the head with the bagel? Uh, it was a stupid theory. But it was right. I'll tell you what, Ross. I don't believe you. I don't believe you thought that. That being said, if you really did, if you're telling the truth and you really did think to yourself, I wonder if that guy ends up being spot. If you're telling the truth 
and you really did think that, then then bravo, sir. Then bravo. I think that was a fantastic tie. Again, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I, for, for those of you who are joining us a little bit later, because we've been we've been going for almost two hours. We've been going for for an hour and forty three minutes now. But a little bit earlier in the stream, I mentioned how much I appreciated the fact that whenever movies or video game stories or anything take seemingly inconsequential moments and make us realize there are no inconsequential events and there are no inconsequential moments. And the fact that Spot ended up being one of those scientists to me is incredibly wonderful. And again, Ross, if you're telling the truth and I have my doubts, I'm dubious, Ross, but if you are telling the truth and you really did think that, bravo, because I never would have. I never would have uh, myself. So if you're telling the truth, good on you, man. All right. Sam Fisher writes, I love the end shot of Mayday putting on her mask, and I am super excited to see Spider-Noir again. Again, that I, I think Anne, my wife Anne, nearly cried. The first time he puts that on her and she's got her little wool knitted Spidey hoodie thing and it goes over her eyes. Anne nearly cried from pure cuteness overload. My wife has a tendency to do that. Anne will sometimes cry at pure cuteness overload. And that moment was pure cuteness overload. Uh, All right. Uh, Sven86 writes, when Vulture showed up, I knew I was in for a real treat. That design was awesome. Loved all the different art styles in the movie. I love the way even Spider-Gran says, let me guess, you're some from Da Vinci kind of world and this that and then when you see a glimpse of him in that world it's all the the brown panatone color sort of thing and and even the way he speaks in Italian when he comes through and he was really vicious I mean listen that vulture was taking on Spider Gwen, Spider Man 99 and Spider Woman all at the same time. Right? That was a formidable vulture. Like a really, really formidable vulture. I, I really love that scene. All right. Let's see next up John Redcorn writes over under 17% spider or Madam Web is in the next film. See, I don't think she will be, but 17% is a real low number. You know, I'll, I'll take the over. I'll take the over on uh, 17%. Because just because, again, I'm not saying over 50%. I'm not saying it's likely, but you set the number really low. So I will take over 17% on that. All right. Next up, Fangblaze71 writes, this might be my favorite movie of all time. I'll, I'll give it some time to, to make sure it's not recency bias, but all I want to do now is watch it again. Like I said, Fangblaze, I, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this movie two weeks from now, right? I just don't know. But again, it's an incredibly rare, special thing that we as film fans need to treasure when you watch a movie that even makes you wonder that. Because honestly, how, when's the last time, Fang Blaze, or any of you guys watching right now, when is the last time that you watched a movie that you stopped when it was done and thought, is this my favorite movie of all time? Even if it didn't end up being your favorite movie of all time. But when's the last time that happened? Not often, right? Not often. Many times we see movies that we love and we think they're great and we think they're fantastic, but not often. I see some guy saying, Titanic, how long ago was that? Somebody's saying uh, Logan, how how long ago was that? Some people saying Infinity War. Iciness is saying Morbius. Yeah, well, maybe Morbius. Marcus Wise saying Terminal. Fuck you. 
<laughs> get, get, I'll save that just for Ray, Marcus. I'll save that just for Ray. Um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't happen often. And the very fact that so many people are even wondering that is a testament to just how special this movie is. All right. Uh, Fangblaze71 writes, Miles making a YouTube apology was the funniest part of the movie. Oh my God, that was so funny. I made a mistake. <laughs> that, that was funny. That was really funny. I totally forgot about that moment, Fangblaze. Thank you for reminding me of that. Uh, John Redko writes, uh, in my opinion, Lord Miller should be in charge of Sonyverse. Here, okay, pump the brakes on that. Pump the brakes on that. It, fans are really too reactionary sometimes somebody does something good and then all of a sudden we think they should be lord master of all listen lord miller have done a fabulous job with the with the miles morales animated spider-verse stuff they absolutely had it is a big jump to go from that to necessarily think they should be in charge of all of it i love lord miller you guys know i love lord miller but to me, that's a little reactionary that that's that I, I would say pump the brakes on that a little bit. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, just, I, I yeah, let, let, let's, let's let them get the third film out. Let's see them do one or two other things. I, I think it's way too early to be throwing around things like put them in charge of the entire Spider-Verse. Why? Cause those two movies were great. Okay. Yeah. But we, I think sometimes we as film fans need to think a little bit bigger picture, but Again, I love Lord Miller. They're Lego movies. They're 21 Jump Street movies. They're Spider-Verse movies. And remember, Lord Miller did not direct this film. That, like a lot of people, it's it's funny how many people forget that. A lot of people in their heads, if you ask a lot of people who directed the Spider-Man movie, a lot of people will say, well, Lord Miller did. Actually, they didn't. They did not direct this film. Uh, they were creatively involved. They were the producers of the film. Absolutely, they deserve a lot of credit. 100%. But they did not direct this film. And I think that's something that a lot of people forget or didn't even realize. But it's just, just something to, to keep in mind. All right. Um, Fort Fort writes, The popular website Rule 34 just did an article on how they animated Gwen's and her universe. It was really watching all the content they have. Not... I'm not familiar with that site or anything at all, but absolutely visually, the whole thing was absolutely gorgeous. And Gwen's world had its own unique look and distinctiveness. Like a lot of the other ones did. It was absolutely beautiful. It's Dre day, right? Absolutely love this movie. My MVP was spider punk. He showed up as a cool, as cool as ever helped mess up Miguel's plans. Then quietly vanished. I'll tell you what. I, I know a lot of people were very excited about uh, spider punk going into this. I wasn't one of them. I mean, I was curious to see what Spider-Punk would be like, like totally was as much as anybody, but I I would be lying if I told you I was excited for Spider-Punk. Spider-Punk for me was um, my, um, what am I, what am I trying to say? Spider-Man for me, Spider-Punk for me was probably my most pleasant surprise in the movie. Because again, I, I was going in looking forward to, to Miles. I was looking forward to Miguel. I was looking forward to Gwen. I was looking forward to Spider-Man's parents. And I was looking, you know, there's a lot of things. But I did not think um, that the the whole thing about Spider-Punk looked all that interesting or or anything like that. So I don't know. 
Well, we'll see. All right, but but yeah, for me, it was a really, really good, good, pleasant surprise. Okay, next up, we've got Fangblaze71 who writes, Miguel's Spider Society was so much cooler than the TVA from Loki. I wonder if they'll connect them at any point. No, the, remember, the Marvel world is the Marvel world. Spider-Verse is Sony. And I get they did some some pretend crossing over, but they're not actually connected worlds in any real tangible way. So I wouldn't expect that we'd see any of that kind of stuff uh, um, uh, connected in any sort of way there. All right, next up. Um, Jose Garcia, right, sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you, Jose. Appreciate that, man. Uh, great movie, but I will still rank it just below the first Spider-Verse. Hey, listen, the first Spider-Verse film was absolutely incredible. I've been talking about it for five years, so I get that. It felt more set up for the next one than a true standalone. Still excited for Spider-Verse 3, and if it lands this one, it can be one of the best su- superhero trilogies. I agree. I mean, this... It almost feels sacrilegious to say, but... The question about what is the best superhero movie trilogy ever, it's always one of two, right? It's always either Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy or it's the Captain America trilogy, right? It's, when you look at First Avenger, Winter Soldier, Civil War, to me, that's the best superhero comic book trilogy ever. Uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Trilogy. The Dark Knight is the best individual film out of all six, but as a combined trilogy, I think the Captain America Trilogy is just a little bit above Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight. But whatever, those are the two. But I am telling you, if Beyond the Spider-Verse is on the same level as Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse, We've got a brand new champion. We we have a new crown. The animated Miles Morales Spider-Man Spider-Verse trilogy um, is going to be the greatest comic book trilogy ever. I, 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 I don't even, I'll be honest with you, I don't even see how it's close. I mean, again, the Dark Knight individual movie might still be better uh, as a single movie, then maybe, depending on how you feel, any of the individual Spider-Verse movies, but as a trilogy? To me, if Beyond... And this is a giant if with a giant asterisk. But if Beyond the Spider-Verse is on the same level as Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse, it will easily, without much debate, well, I mean, all film is subjective, so of course it's open for debate. But I, I'm just saying, it will, in my estimation, easily be simply the de facto best superhero trilogy ever made. But again, can they nail the landing? Can they nail it? Can they bring it home with Beyond the Spider-Verse? It's a tall order. And just because you made a couple of great movies doesn't automatically mean the third one will be great. Um, so, you know, we'll see. All right. Sam Fisher writes, my only real nitpick about the movie is that the twist ending is the same twist end as Loki, but it was done better. I don't know that it was the same twist ending as Loki. I, I don't, I don't think I'd go there, but just again, just the fact that, you know, with 
Spider 43 and going back into that world and seeing how that world got altered from his own simply from the fact that the spider went from one universe to the next, I thought was really fascinating. Seeing how Miles would turn out differently, I thought was fascinating. All right. Jose Garcia writes, uh, by setup, I mean more dialogue heavy versus opposed to Spider-Verse 1, where it was more balanced between dialogue and action. I'm sure the next one will have more action. Spider-Punk was the MVP. Well, I mean, but here's the difference. To me, the dialogue, to me, the more important things in movies always, whether it's a standalone movie or a movie that's part of a franchise or a sequel or whatever, dialogue is always, always, always more important than the action. Always more important to me. That's just me as an individual film fan. Every individual film fan has different aspects that are more important to you. And that's that's fine. One is no better than the other. I'm just saying for me, dialogue is the hallmark of what a good movie is. If you want to tell if the movie's going to be good or not, how good's the dialogue? Bad di- Nothing sours a movie to me more than bad dialogue. So even though you have Fast 10, and I, I don't mean to pick on Fast X, but Fast X, which has great action, like some really great action that I had quite a lot of fun watching and a great villain. It unfortunately has some of the worst fourth grade dialogue writing I have ever, I, I I'd be hard pressed to come up with 10 films that had worse dialogue than fast X did. It's a truly horrible film on that level. And that can really sour a movie for me. So that's why I can come out of fast X and go, you know what? Great hand-to-hand combat fight scenes, really enjoyable car race stuff. Uh, All that was really good, and I enjoyed those moments. But overall, my experience of the movie is pretty damn soured because they couldn't write shit. It was a dumb story, number one. Terrible narrative flow. Almost made no logical sense, but the worst crime of all was the dialogue. Every time people spoke to each other, I wanted to gouge out my ears. And so dialogue for me is, is, is paramount. I would rather them sacrifice 20% action to gain 20% more quality in the dialogue than vice versa. Now, again, all film fans will be different. Like we all have different things that mean more to us that contribute to our experience. And one is no more important than the other. I'm just saying for me, dialogue is so important. Maybe that's one of the reasons why even though this movie had the best action sequence out of the two Spider-Verse movies with the whole thing in in 2099's universe with the big chase and fight and all that kind of stuff, which was bonkers. To me, the, the real MVP of it was story and dialogue. The interaction between the characters that to me gave it all the heart that it really had. So... Anyway, that, uh, yeah, that's just me. All right. Thanks for that, Jose. Uh, Fangblaze71 writes, despite all the comedy, this movie was extremely mature dealing with Gwen and Miles' parents and relationships between characters, especially Miguel, too. Yeah, listen, I, I mentioned that a little bit earlier in the video. Again, it's the, the problem is not how much humor is in a film. That's not the problem. Like everybody, they look at Thor, Love and Thunder, and he goes, the problem was too much humor. I got news for you. The problem wasn't too much humor. That wasn't the problem. The problem was they didn't build as good of a movie around it and they didn't balance it out with heavier, darker things like they did in Ragnarok. And the humor wasn't as good as it was in Ragnarok. Nobody complains about the humor in Ragnarok because the humor in Ragnarok was funnier. It was just funnier. The humor in Love and Thunder did not hit as well. And so I still contend that the problem wasn't the amount of humor, it's the quality of the humor. 
was bad. You come into Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, guess what? I bet if you did a joke-for-joke count, I'm willing to wager that there was just as many jokes in Across the Spider-Verse as there was in Thor Love and Thunder. It's just that they balanced, number one, they balanced out the jokes with heavier themes, better dialogue, better dynamics, better narrative flow, all that kind of stuff. And the jokes were funnier. They made you laugh. They worked. Whereas in Thor Love and Thunder, don't get me wrong, there's some of the jokes in Thor Love and Thunder were very funny. And and I, I did laugh a bunch in Thor Love and Thunder. I did. But the quality of the jokes were not nearly as good overall as they were in Thor Ragnarok, nor as good as into the spider or across the Spider-Verse. And therefore, even though I would contend to you that both across the Spider-Verse and Thor 11 Thunder probably had equal parts humor, <laughs> just across the Spider-Verse, the humor worked and had much, much better stuff surrounding it than say Thor Love and Thunder did. So to me, whenever I hear people say, well, the problem with whatever movie is that it had too much jokes. Nope, no, 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 no. The problem is not not that. Unless you just don't like to laugh. The problem is whether or not you thought the jokes worked. That's the problem. If the jokes aren't funny. See, take She-Hulk. The problem with She-Hulk was not that it had too many jokes. The problem with She-Hulk is that it wasn't funny. It's very hard. To enjoy a comedy when it's not funny. And that was the problem for me, at any rate, with She-Hulk, was that it was just a comedy that wasn't funny. But uh, whatever. Again, that's just me. All right. Uh, Let's see here. Next up, we got Joshua McGregor who writes, With Across the Spider-Verse making $120.5 million domestically and $208.6 worldwide, does this smell trouble for The Flash, or do you think it can do fairly well? Thanks for bringing on the filthy. I have One has nothing to do with the other. These are two completely different movies made in completely different mediums, made by two totally different studios with completely different backgrounds to them and stuff like that. So honestly, Joshua, one has nothing to do with the other. They have nothing to do with each other. So I I wouldn't look for comparisons. Um, Cody Carroll writes, wondering why they took part one out of the title because um, it's not part one. They're two different movies that have connecting stories. So there's the beyond the spider, there's across the spider verse and there's beyond the spider verse. So they are being, it's the same way they didn't just call it into the spider verse part two and into the spider verse part three. Uh, They gave them three. I mean, I would personally, personally, I would have preferred if they just did that. If they called it Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse Part 1, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse Part 2, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse Part 3. But they didn't do that. They decided to give each movie their own unique names, and that that's fine. That's fine. I personally like naming conventions more like Iron Man. Like Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3. That's the way I think movies should be named, to be honest with you. Don't get me wrong. Homecoming's a good name. Far From Home's a good name. No Way Home's a good name. But ultimately, they're kind of meaningless. It just should have been called Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3. Or or Spider-Man, you know, Spider-Man something to denote that it's the Marvel Spider-Man. Spider-Man something. Spider-Man something 2. Spider-Man something 3. I I mean, I'm just, I know that's old-fashioned. I'm just more of a, a bigger fan of that naming convention. But that's, again, that's just my perspective on that all right sam fisher writes 
I can't wait for the combined director's cut, the whole bloody affair version of Across and Beyond the Spider-Verse, like a combined Dune Part 1 and Part 2. I, I would go further. I really think it would need to be a combined of Into the Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse, because you there is no Across the Spider-Verse without Into the Spider-Verse. You know what I mean? So I would want to see the thing done as three movies. All right. Guys, there are still some more questions to come, but we have reached now the two-hour mark of our uh, Spider-Man uh, across the Spider-Verse open spoiler discussion. And once again, my drink runneth dry. Uh, I need to go top up my drink. You guys can do the same. Talk amongst yourselves for a little bit. And we're going to take about a two minute and 30 second break here. As we thank two more sponsors of this broadcast of our open spoiler discussion for Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, our friends at ExpressVPN and Rocket Money. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video. VPN. Guys, it is 2023 and online privacy and security has never been more important. You see, every device, phones, computers, tablets has a unique IP address, which is like an internet phone number and reveals personal information about you. It's super simple for somebody online who knows what they're doing to find your IP address. If you've ever clicked on a sketchy link or opened an email from somebody you don't know, your IP address could become exposed. Now that's where ExpressVPN has your back. ExpressVPN is an app that hides your real IP address and replaces it with a dummy one, keeping you safe and private. And you don't have to be some kind of techie to use a VPN. Guys, it is so easy to use. Just download the ExpressVPN app on your phone or computer, tap one button to turn it on, and you're protected. And if you like your streaming entertainment, here's the coolest part. They let you choose what country you want your IP address to look like it's coming from. This is incredibly useful because services like Netflix and Disney Plus give you different shows depending on what what country you're in. So secure your family's online activity and unlock tons of new shows by visiting expressvpn.com slash campia. Use my link and you can get three extra months free. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash campia. Go to expressvpn.com slash campia to learn more. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video, Rocket Money. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitor your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want and don't even use. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. My wife Ann and I moved out of Burbank two years ago and one of the first things I discovered when I loaded up Rocket Money was that I was still paying for a gym membership I haven't even been to in Burbank in two years. So stop throwing away your money. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to Rocket rocketmoney.com slash campia that's rocketmoney.com slash campia rocketmoney.com slash campia all right everybody and we are back and thank you to expressvpn and rocket money for sponsoring this channel all right guys 
With that down, we're now in the home stretch. Let's get into, we are now into hour three here. Uh, so let's get back into it here. We're going to pick up here with, uh, what was the last one we left off? We left off with Sam Fisher. Now we get to Christopher Brickner who writes, if Miguel hates multiverse anomalies, imagine if he met Kang, where all he does is cause anomalies by conquering alternate realities. Yeah, but remember, it, it, it's a different thing. See, Miguel... Miguel hates them because they destroy the worlds they happen in unless things get fixed, right? He's trying to stop those worlds from, from ending. Anomalies do not necessarily prevent worlds from ending, but again, we'll, we'll see what the way... Alice, can I just be honest with you here? Marvel's entire multiverse thing is a mess. Like, for some reason, in just one movie, across the Spider-Verse managed to make a multiverse concept feel far more manageable and make more sense as an audience member than all of the Marvel films have done so far. I'll just call it straight up. Marvel's multiverse saga era has been a disaster. I'm not saying all the movies have been bad. Not at all. There have been a couple of them that I've really liked, a couple of the shows I really liked. I'm just saying their whole multiverse thing has been an absolute disaster. And we'll see how it comes to fruition once we get into Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars and all that kind of stuff. But again, for me, at this point, it's been a disaster. It's the multiverse stuff. And like Spider-Verse has done multiverse way better than Marvel has. But again, that's just kind of my thought on that. All right. Uh, that was Christopher Brickner. Next up, Tony Hurd writes, um, when the next Spider-Verse movie comes out next year, we will have three Spider-Man trilogies within 25 years. I mean, yeah, three completely different Spider-Man trilogies all within all within 25 years. That's actually a really good observation of that. You're not wrong. All right, thanks for that, Tony. Sam Fisher writes, I love the way the animated spot with the little balls and lines you draw when you're first drawing a picture. I don't know what the term is. No, listen, I actually really, at first... When I saw the trailers, I thought Spot looked rather nondescript and maybe, I'll be honest with you, kind of dumb. But I agree with you, Sam. Like, as the movie progressed, there was something that just was right about the way he looked. And it just started clicking with me and it started working for me. So I, I agree. The look at design of Spot really started to work for me. Christopher Brickner writes, I like the nods. Uh, to the MCU canon, like Miguel mentioning Doctor Strange and Earth 1999999 comics designation of the MCU timeline, and Miguel showing the multiverse, and it appears the same way as in the MCU. Yeah, so I do think it was noticeable that Sony only showed Sony things, right? Like we saw Andrew Garfield, but we saw Andrew Garfield from the Sony movie. We saw Tobey Maguire but we only saw Tommy McGuire from the Sony movie. We saw Donald Glover. Now, Donald Glover was in an MCU movie, but it's a Sony-controlled thing. We didn't actually see the Marvel Spider-Man. And I heard some people talking about that. I was like, why don't we see Tom Holland? Well, I, I, I wonder if it's because they didn't want to tie it too closely connected to what's going on in Marvel. Again, because clearly what's going on in Marvel is different than what's going on in, in Sony's Spider-Man stuff, right? Andrew and Toby don't glitch in the MCU when they're there, when if it was by the rules of the, of again, Marvel's multiverse stuff is a mess. Um, anyway, 
Thanks for that, Christopher. Uh, Johnny got lost rights. Want a Miles Prowler hot toy? The design was sleek. Dude, I am right with you. The Miles version of Prowler. Don't get me wrong. I love the Prowler, like the uncle's Prowler from the first one. That's gorgeous. But this was such a cool looking Prowler designation. I I, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. I, I want to see that too. Okay, next up. Sam Fisher writes, I also want a Spider-Gwen spinoff movie. I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't. I really like the character, but I like the character in the context of the Miles Morales story. I'm personally not, but I think my wife would probably like it. Angel Leon writes, the Gwen intro blow my mind every way possible. Are you talking about like the introduction to the movie? Like when the movie starts and we go into her universe and the, oh, I'll tell you what. They showed us last year not last month but last year at CinemaCon, the scene where her dad gets to drop on her and says freeze and she takes off the mask to show that she's spider-woman when the dad starts reading her her rights that was heartbreaking and i remember last year watching that scene at CinemaCon and going oh my god this movie's going to be so good like they showed us that whole big sequence with Vulture and the dad catching her and meeting Miguel and uh, Jessica and, and all. They showed us all that stuff, right? They showed us a good 15 some odd minutes of it. But I remember when the dad starts reading her her rights with the gun pointed at her, knowing that's his daughter. I just remember that was the moment to me that I went, this movie is going to be really good. This movie's going to be so good. It was, oh. God, it was so good. Oh, yeah, CG Rebirth. Will you adopt me? That was a really good line in there, too. <coughs> All right. Next up, Sam Fisher writes, I would love to see Kane Parker in Beyond the Spider-Verse. He is the even darker second clone that Jackal made and second Scarlet Spider. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not familiar with that one. Um, I only really care about Ben Riley, So I'm, I'm not... I'm not familiar with the Kane Parker one, but that's something I'll keep my eye open. See, maybe they will bring that into there, Sam. Christopher Brickner writes, I like how Sony and Marvel seem to agree that Sony's Marvel films are technically canon to the MCU, uh, but are in the multiverse and don't have to connect. See, here's this is an argument I have with some friends with mine all the time, and I'm sure many of you will disagree with me, and that's fine. When like when Spider-Man No Way Home happened, and you know, Andrew and Toby show up, they're like, oh, that means those movies are canon to the MCU. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. If it's not in their universe, it's not canon. In the MCU, all they're really saying is, and there's nothing wrong with this, all they're really saying is there's an infinite number of possibilities and an infinite number of realities and an infinite number. That means literally anything you can think of in your brain, that's canon to the MCU. Well, sure, because in an infinite universe with infinite realities and infinite variations, anything. I could say this, I'll have to unplug it. Give me a sec. Um, this, I love this. This was a gift from, uh, from my wife who bought me this millennium Falcon, but it's a cell phone charger, right? I, it sits on my desk and you put your cell phone on it and it charges. Cause there's the USB thing on the back. You plug it in. This is like the best cell phone charger I've ever had. I love this thing, but I could just think in my brain. Okay. In some reality, this millennium Falcon thing becomes a Spider-Man. Do, 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 right? Okay, that's canon to the MCU now. 
Why? Well, because in an infinite universe, in an infinite multiverse where there's infinites, anything's anything, anything is anything. It's all, everything's canon. I don't buy that. Sorry, let me point this back here. Okay. So while they did that, I don't really think it's saying, well, that's all canon to me. No, if it's, if it's some infinite, infinite, infinite possibility thing, well, then anything that's in your imagination, you can say is canon, unless it happens in the MCU proper. I don't, I don't personally consider it canon per se. See what is canon in the MCU by my estimation is another Spider-Man that looked like Andrew Garfield and a Spider-Man that looked like Tobey Maguire came into the MCU universe and something that part is canon. But I don't consider that making the events that happened in Amazing Spider-Man or Spider-Man 1, 2, or 3 as canon in and of themselves, right? Or the fact that um, Across the Spider-Verse just had Donald Glover in it, then that means to the MCU, the events of Spider-Verse are canon. I, I don't see it that way. Again, I know many other people do. I'm probably in the minority and I accept that that's perfectly fine, but eh, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's just me. Somebody brought up the venom thing. I think it's uh, a stone brought up the venom thing. That's legit because in the movie, like that Tom Hardy literally came into the MCU and we know it's the same Tom Hardy from the venom movie. Doesn't just look like him. It couldn't be another variation of him. We know that's him. And so that his, but the only part that's Canon is the moments he's in our MCU. To me, that's the only part that's canon. But again, because then you're talking about infinite realities, infinite multiverse, infinite variations, infinite infinites. So anything is possible. So anything you can think of is technically canon. Again, it's only canon to me if it takes place feet on the ground in the MCU. But again, I know a lot of other people look at it differently and that's perfectly fine. All right. Fangblaze 71 writes, uh, maybe you should get off the kid's ass. I love that line. Miles talking to his dad as Spider-Man will never not be funny. Hope he doesn't die in the next one. I Am I alone? I really want to see the scene that Miles reveals his identity to his parents. I, I mean, maybe there are a lot of people that don't. I'll tell you what, guys, I'm going to put up a, a, a poll right now in the live chat. Um, do you want to see... Miles reveal his ID to his parents. All right, simple thing. I'm going to put that up in the live chat right now. Because uh, I tell you what, I do. I want to see it badly. So I just put it up there now. Do you want to see Miles reveal his ID to his parents? And right now, we already have 154 votes. And 94% of you are saying yes. Okay, so I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone in this. Like, I really want to see that scene so bad. I want to see it. And I'm not normally one of those guys who, when I'm watching a superhero TV show or a superhero movie or whatever, that I want to see the hero reveal their identity to such and such person. Actually, one of my big critiques of like shows like arrow and flash. And I, I liked those shows a lot, but one of my big critiques was that everybody knows who they are. Like every episode they were revealing their identity to somebody. So I'm not one of those guys that thinks that heroes should always reveal their identity, but I really, 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 uh, want to see, uh, miles reveal his identity to his dad. 
Uh, and we're going to wrap it out here. We're at about 200 and some odd votes and we're at like 95% of you guys. Yes. Do want to see miles reveal himself to his parents? Only five do. So I, I thought it would be closer than that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in the minority on that. So thank you for, for, uh, participating in that guys. Good to know. All right. Uh, let's see next up. Sam Fisher writes after this movie, I'm done with the MCU. Give me a spider verse style movie for every Marvel character. Ugh, no, uh, imagine the stuff they could do with fantastic. No, no. Hey, listen, I totally, I totally get like when you go in. Okay. Let me back up a bit. Marvel has not been on their a game lately. All right. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is wonderful. Fantastic. Ms. Marvel was fantastic. They, they've done a couple of really, really good things. I'm not saying they haven't. But overall, Marvel has not been at the top of their game lately. Okay. Can, can, we, can we agree on that? That they are, they are not firing on all cylinders right now? Can we agree on that? So, I, I can understand... When you go and watch a Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, and it's better than anything Marvel has put out in the in at, at least minimum over the last couple of years, I could understand the feeling of, man, I'm pretty much done with the MCU. Other people are doing stuff that's better, at least in this one instance. I, that being said, I am not at all i have no desire to start seeing well we did this multiverse thing with spider-man let's do it with all the characters i i'm not there i that this is this is a gimmick that would get tired really fast to me like when a a unique fresh idea for something like the spider-verse movies have been come along that's great but when everybody just starts replicating it it gets really tired really fast so no i don't want to see a fantastic four movie where they're running across multiverse and finding 80 different versions of themselves. It's, it's been done. I'm over it. Like it's great in Spider-Verse cause that's the nature of this movie, the nature of this story that's being told. That's fine. But I think it could get really tired really fast if just others just start doing it. But, but one never knows. You never know. Maybe they could find a way to make it really work and it could be fantastic. All right. <clears throat> Thanglaze 71 writes, I noticed Tom Spider-Man was pretty much the only one we didn't see. Yes. I wonder why that was. They put pretty much all the others in because all the others were Sony's and Tom's is Disney's. I, I really think it's as simple as that, that all the, so they could reference it as a, as a nice little Easter egg joke. Don't even get me going with that nerd and earth one, nine, 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 nine. Like they could do it as a joke, but I, I really do think it's all about, Sony only showed the stuff that were Sony, um, uh, were Sony controlled it and it was Sony stuff. So yeah, uh, at least Sony produced stuff. Whereas the Tom Holland one is Disney produced, even though Sony is still the distributor of it. They're not the producers of it. At least that's my, that's my guess. Fangblaze. That's my guess. All right. Johnny Weiner writes a lot of spider scenes. I don't think Aaron. <laughs> yeah. Aaron Cummings. Too many spiders. Aaron Cummings will not be watching this movie, I don't think. Uh, Charles Honeycutt writes, Hey, John, do you expect there to be live action? There really shouldn't be. There really should not be. Hollywood history is filled with people taking things that worked really well and then ruined them. Miles Morales' Spider-Man is working as it is. 
They're making some of the greatest comic book films of all time. They're winning Academy Awards. They're making money now, hand over fist. They should not try to do live action. Don't do it. It's working great. Keep Miles Morales where he is. Keep him working in this, in this medium, in this avenue that it is firing on all cylinders and working so well. Why would you risk diluting the brand by rolling the dice and risking making a, a, a questionable live action one? Why? I mean, eventually, someday, yes. Sure. Now, somebody's asking the question, well, then why do it with How to Train Your Dragon? Because How to Train Your Dragon's over. How to Train Your Dragon is over. It's been over for years. So you want to now, years later, go, re go revisit that story with a new interpretation in a live-action environment. Go for it. Hey, listen, if you're done with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and you don't want to make any more of these movies, which they'd be foolish not to do more of these movies... Because they're right in the middle of it right now, right? But let's say, for instance, Beyond the Spider-Verse came out and they said, we're done. We're not making any more animated films. Okay. And then like six years later or seven years later, then they go, you know what? We're going to remake Into the Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse and Beyond the Spider-Verse, but in live action. At that point, I'll be, that's totally fine. Go for it. Yeah, that's, that's a neat idea. But right now? With everything working so well with their Miles Morales Spider-Verse movies, you don't stop. Make number three, but then make number four. Like, make it a new story. Make, make Miles and Gwen are now moved on from the events of the Spider-Verse ones. And, and make the next adventure and the next story with the next villain, stuff like that. But with it all working so well right now, why would you derail this momentum? Why would you derail this train? When it is in the midst of such success. So the How to Train a Dragon, that's a totally different situation. That's a, that's a franchise that ended and was done and that was years ago and finished and they were never going to make another How to Train Your Dragon movie anyway. So that was done. Now you want to bring it back and try it live action? Go for it. But that's not the situation that the Spider-Verse movies are in right now. They are in the middle of an incredible role where they just put out a movie that some people are wondering is the greatest movie ever made. Now, I mean, I don't think it's the greatest movie ever made, but I'm wondering if it's the greatest comic book movie ever made, right? So why would you potentially ruin that by doing some, some maybe half-assed live-action version at the same time that you're having all the success with the animated thing? I, I, I just think it's a bad idea. I think it's a bad idea. But, uh, you know, whatever. That's the thing. We all think something's a good idea until it turns out that it sucks. And we all think something's a bad idea until it turns out great. Hell, let's not forget that I'm the guy who thought the first Into the Spider-Verse movie was a bad idea. And look at me now, right? So, so who knows? We'll see. But yeah, if you ask me, I think doing live action right now would be a horrible, horrible, horrible idea. But that's just me. All right. Mr. Hank Dunn writes, uh, I liked it, but I think it's small downgrade from the first. I didn't have a, uh, sorry. It didn't have kinetic energy that the first had far from the best comic book movie, but I loved it again. Hank, like I said, it, it, all film is subjective. And the important thing is not, do you think it's the greatest comic book movie of all time? The important question is, did you like it? Did you go into a movie, sit down, have the lights go down and you experienced a motion picture 
And did you walk out with a smile on your face? And from your last line there that you loved it, that's the most important thing. And I'm glad you had a good time. All right. Jedediah Elias writes, Gwen before, me and Spider-Man being together doesn't end well. Later, if there's one thing Miles taught me is that it's all possible. That's growth. Listen, that it's, it's in the subtle things. The best movies show character development in subtlety. It's the little things that you can look for. That the way a character's views certain thing changes from one thing to the next and changes with explanation. Like that little change in Gwen didn't just pop up at the end of the film. She experienced the story of the movie, which moved her from thinking one way to thinking another way. That is always the best kind of character evolution that we love seeing in movies. And that's one of the reasons why I think not only is this movie a maybe one of the greatest comic book films of all time, but why it is a great film, period. Because they do that so masterfully, Jedediah. That's a great observation on your point, man. All right. Stash Stash Dad. (laughs) Iggy Reyes writes, "Uh, the way uh, they... Oh, the way they push Daddy Jeff to be so lovable. God, please find a way to save Captain Jeff. I brought my kids... uh, I brought my kids tearing like a baby... I mean, that's the thing. When you go back to like the first film, the two best moments to me of the first movie are one near the beginning when he drops Miles off at school. He says, I love you, Miles. He goes, yeah, I know. Gets up and he gets on the horn in front of his schoolmates. Say, you got to say, I love you too. You got to say, I love you. You got to say it. (laughs) He's like humiliating his kid. And he says that I'm going to tell you straight up. Actually, that moment is one of my favorite moment in any movie for the past, like five years. I love that movie so much. I almost died laughing the first time um, that I, that I watched that. It just, it, Oh God, it's so funny. And then one of my other favorite moments of that first movie is when he's having that conversation after his brother dies and he's having that conversation with miles on the other side of the door, not realizing that miles is tied up but he's having that conversation with his son. And that was such a beautiful, moving, deep, beautiful moment. And then they go even into it more in this. And yeah, I tell you what, if they decide, if they decide to kill Jeff, there, man, there's going to be a lot of tears. There's going to be a lot of tears in the theater if they decide to do that, man. All right. Alan Ling writes, Hey, John, I didn't even think Across the Spider-Verse could be this excellent. I felt so satisfied watching this movie. I saw it three times this weekend. Enjoyed every watch. Look, I'll tell you what. I was one of the lucky people that I saw about a half hour of this movie before it ever came out. A, A year ago, I saw it about 15 minutes. About a month ago, I saw another 15 minutes of it. I knew this movie was going to be good. I knew it was going to be good. And I remember somebody wrote in on one of the podcasts that we did saying, you think this is going to be better than Into the Spider-Verse? No, no, they're saying, I think this is going to be better than Into the Spider-Verse. And I'm like, whoa, 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 slow your roll here. That's, that's, That's a really high standard. I've seen like a half hour of it. I know it's going to be good, but let's not get crazy here and say it's going to be better than Into the Spider-Verse. 
This movie was so much better than even I was expecting it to be. Uh, to me, at any rate, right? To me. This movie was far better than, than I was expecting it to be. Um, and I had high expectations. It's just one of those moments, Alan. You know, I, I often say it's there's nothing more special as a movie fan than when... I mean, it's great when we go into a movie that we think is going to be great and it's great, right? That's awesome. That's awesome. Like, I'm going into the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I, I knew that movie was going to be really good. It's James Gunn. It's the Guardians of the Galaxy. I knew it was going to be good. And sure enough, it was really good. And that's wonderful. But it's really special as a movie fan when you go into a movie and it's way better than you thought it would be. Like maybe you thought the movie was just going to be okay and it turned out to be really good. Or maybe you thought the movie was going to be really good, but it's like now one of your favorites of all time. What, whatever, whatever, wherever on the scale you want to put that. It's just a special thing when a movie really exceeds your expectations. It's wonderful when it meets your expectations. That's great. But some special when it exceeds them. And this movie exceeded all my expectations. Now, I see a few people asking, this movie's going to make a billion dollars. It's not going to make a billion dollars. It's not. Um, if for no other reason that this type of movie doesn't tend to do well overseas, um, and without strong overseas, you're never going to make a billion. I mean, just look at, what ha look at what's happening to uh, Little Mermaid right now. Like, it's doing really well domestically. Like, in actuality... Little Mermaid is kicking the shit out of Fast X domestically, like in the U.S. U.S. audiences are way more interested in seeing Little Mermaid than Fast X, but you're not going to get the big box office dollars without international, and Little Mermaid's not doing strong international. Fast X is. And I don't think Into the Spider-Verse or Across the Spider-Verse is going to do great international numbers. Like, listen, this movie will far exceed what the first film did at the box office. It's going to be a big, big, big hit, but I just don't see it. Um, I, I just don't see it making a billion dollars. I mean, I would hope to heavens that I'm wrong. I would love for this film to be the next member of the billion dollar club, but I don't, I don't think this one will do enough overseas business to get it there, but I sure hope it does, man. I sure hope it does. All right. Next up, uh, we got uh, Moulin Rouge who writes, uh, the opening with Gwen and her dad and ending with the twist made my heart drop, both for different reasons. Oh, I, I agree, man. I'm telling you what, it's not generally a good idea to start the entire movie without your main character, right? Miles is the main character of the, the Spider-Verse movies. Yes, Gwen is important. Peter B. Parker is important, all that kind of stuff, but it's Miles' movie. And should you'd think that the movie should start with him, especially like the opening 10 minutes, like of the movie, you'd have the main character in there, but they decided to focus on Gwen's part of the story instead. And that was turned out to be very effective from a narrative point of view. Cause it set up the multiverse stuff about this league of Spider-Men that they got set up about who Miguel is and all that kind of stuff. But it also set up her personal issues that she's got going on with her dad. And that again, that whole scene when her dad starts reading her, her rights, was so powerful and so moving. It, it just, again, I thought at first it was a questionable decision to put the whole focus of the first part of the movie on Gwen, but it turned out to be a really good decision, to be honest. All right. Jacob Flynn writes, 
Giving Miles the accent in Earth-42 because it was just him and his mom on Earth was fantastic. Oh, you know what? I didn't even think about that. You're 100% right. I didn't even think about that. Remember I was saying I just love the way he says his own name, Miles Morales. Like, just the way he said it was so cool. And But now, now it makes sense. If his dad died earlier, and we don't know how early in that universe his dad died, but his primary linguistic influence around him was just his mom then his speech patterns would have developed with more of an accent in it. I'll tell you what, I didn't even think about that. You are 100% right about that, Jacob. I didn't even think about it. Thank you so much for putting that on my uh, on my vision board. Now, that, now I've got that in my head. Thank you. All right. Uh, DJ Stevie C writes, sorry, I've got 18 like different people trying to get a hold of me. All right, sorry. Uh, DJ Stevie C writes, my reaction, act one, fantastic. Act two, fantastic. Act three, there was no act three. Weird to say, a uh, weird way to end the movie. I loved what I saw, but that made it an eight out of 10. See, I disagree. I disagree. If they ended this movie five minutes earlier, right? If they ended it with Miles making the break gets into the machine to send him back home, what we thought was going to be home. And he just ends up there. And then, then Miles starts swinging across the city. I know I'm going to find a way to, and he, and we get this internal monologue. Okay. Let's go over this one more time. I am the one and only Spider-Man and I've come back to my own universe. I've got to find a way to stop Spot from killing my dad. I got to figure out a way to stop the anomalies across the universe. It's a big challenge, but I know that Spider-Man can face it. And, and just, it ended there. Let's say it ended there. It didn't do the extra five minutes. Then nobody would say anything. The fact that it gave us that extra five minutes or extra 10 minutes, however many extra minutes it is, that after Miles got away from universe 2099 and he got out here and then we saw all the extra stuff, that's what's made people go, well, it's not really a full, no, no, it totally was a full movie. They just then gave you a few extra minutes and maybe it would have been a good decision on their part to have Miles come into his home universe and then swing through the city and just say, I made it out. Now I know I got to find a way to stop spot and blah, blah, blah. But I'll all be to do it because, hey, I'm the amazing Spider-Man or whatever. And then we see Gwen pulling her team together and they just ended there. Nobody would be saying a thing. Everybody would say, perfect, great, wonderful. Everybody would be totally fine. It did have that definitive ending. The thing is, it then went a few minutes to open up the door for what's coming in the next one. And it sounds to me like people maybe would have preferred it if they didn't show us that extra five minutes and showed us that open door about what is to come in the next one. But anyway, that's just kind of, uh, that's just kind of the way that I, I see it. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Devin Lita writes across the spider verse was amazing. Appears the spot <laughs> spot. Couldn't relax his holes. Got shoulders enough. Uh, nod. I don't un I don't know what that word is or who you're trying to re refer to. Sorry about that. All right, Fangblaze seventy one writes: the scene of Miles having a panic attack while swinging through the city was amazing. Looked like a Mysterio illusion. Which scene was that? Which scene was that where he was swinging across a city, swinging through the city, having a panic attack? Which I'll, I'll look to you guys in the live chat 
Um, yeah, which, where was that? What am I thinking of? Or what, what am I missing? What am I forgetting? I can't remember. Um, and oh, where he returns to what he thinks is his home universe. And he's thinking about all the stuff and he's having the reflections of all the stuff. Okay. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just wonderful, wonderful, beautiful storytelling there. And like making the character Miles feel more real because you confront all the stuff that Miles just confronted in 2099 universe in conjunction with all the stuff that he already had been exposed to a real individual, a real character is going to start to struggle with that. And I love the fact that they included that as a part of it. So you're absolutely right about that. Uh, let's see. Uh, Julian writes, definitely one of the greatest Spider-Man movies. The writing humor visuals is a huge spectacle. Yeah. Again, it, it just comes back to Julian that Sony and it's time for us to put more respect on Sony's name. Sony has now made the three best Spider-Man movies. Sam Raimi, Spider-Man two into the Spider-Verse and across the spider. They just did an amazing job with that. Um, okay. Uh, Buck's basement writes, I'm going to be watching it a second time today. I can't believe I didn't see the twist coming. Even when I realized miles mom had green eyes, I didn't even notice that then miles's mom had green eyes. I had no, I didn't, I couldn't have told you that for one second. And you're right. I didn't see the twist coming. Like right up to the point where she said, who's Spider-Man. Even then I was like, come on. Are they trying to make us think that his mom wouldn't know who Spider-Man was? It wasn't until a little bit after that. So I am with you. I, and I'm usually pretty good at picking up like twists that are coming. Like I, I, like I, I knew Kent was Kaiser Soze really early in the film. That being said, I did not see this one coming at all. They did a really, really good job of camouflaging it. Uh, so it would hit me pretty well. And then finally to end things off, everyday people just sends in a super chat badge to be supportive. Thank you. Everyday people. I appreciate that, man. And guys, I said this would probably be about three hours. We're at two hours and 40 minutes, but that will do it. We did it. We got through them all. That'll do it for this open spoiler discussion of Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Um, without debate, one of the greatest Spider-Man movies of all time. A lot of people wondering if it's the greatest comic book movie of all time. Some people we saw right in today saying now it's their favorite movie of all time. Uh, again, whichever way you want to cut it, it's pretty damn magnificent. What they were able to do here. And again, the most critical things... The most critical things we've heard from anybody today is it's not my favorite comic book movie of all time, but man, I loved it. That is the most negative thing we've heard anybody say that tells you something about this movie and, and the reaction it's having with people and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's just marvelous, marvelous, marvelous. Anyway, guys, obviously tomorrow on the John campus show podcast. And for those of you who don't know, the John campus show is now a podcast. Um, on the John Campus Show podcast and on the channel, on the YouTube channel, we'll make some sh some short videos as well about the opening weekend box offices of this movie blowing away the expectations and the projections that they had almost, you know, more than tripling what the first Spider-Verse movie made in its opening weekend. We're going to be talking about that. Obviously the director's guild of America has just reached a deal with the producers avoiding a strike. Unlike the writers, we're going to see how is that going to impact 
the landscape. Don't know. We got a lot of stuff to talk about on the podcast, on the channel tomorrow. Hope you guys will come and join us for that. I'll look forward to seeing you there. So, uh, yeah, guys, I got to get over. I got a game to go watch. Uh, I'm going to give my wife a call whose plane has landed and she's out there. I haven't spoken to her since she landed. Thanks a lot for joining me here, guys. It has been an honor and a privilege. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in the Super Chats, number one, because you gave us great perspectives and things to talk about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And number two, you supported our channel as you did it. And all of us involved with our channel, thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, guys, that'll do it for me. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.